does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Man in motion to Paris Campbell. They give off to Jonathan Taylor. Jump cutting his way close to the goal line. He's in there. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Jonathan Taylor. Second down and 10 for the Eagles at the Colts 22. Shotgun snap for Hurts. Backs to throw. Looking, looking. Delivers over the middle towards the end zone. It's caught for a touchdown. That's Quez Watkins, a 22-yard strike. Straight give to Jonathan Taylor. Jump cuts his way and slashes inside Eagle territory. Still going second effort inside the 45. And he's finally going to be chopped down to the 43. But did he lose the football? The ball came out. Philadelphia has the ball. Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end zone. No. He threw oh, it. Oh, they're going to do that. He ran it right up the gut and scampers into the end zone untouched. And there's the knee by Jalen Hurts, and that's going to do it. The Colts are going to fall short today. Tough one, right? We we had everything in front of us. We didn't execute enough to, to get the win. We made too many mistakes along the way. Yeah, this one hurts, you know what I mean, because uh, losing at home sucks. You know, I felt like we had that game won. It was just a lot of self-inflicted wounds, which, I mean, that's what it's been over the course of the season. Um, but it, like this one hurts because we know, like, that team didn't beat us. We beat ourselves. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. Well, it gets a real pick-me-up on a Monday morning. Well, hey, they hurt themselves. You know what, Kevin? I thought about this, and I know this is unoriginal thought, and people are like, okay, time to come up with a new school of thought. But it's applicable, so I'm going to repeat it. Yesterday, for the Colts, is exactly what people want the Pacers to be or what we thought the Pacers were going to be, right? Yeah. Like, be interesting. Right. Get excited. Show signs of life. Entertaining competitive loss, right? Improve your draft stock. Unfortunately for the Colts, they're kind of too... They're they're really kind of stuck in a quicksand because they dug themselves too big a hole now. Like, you're kind of back to... What is to be gained by writing this out the rest of the year with Matt Ryan if you're not going to go to the playoffs? You're just moving yourself back in the draft. But at the same time, you owe it to Jeff Saturday and to the fans and everybody else to be as competitive. And they're not far off. You know, clearly, I mean, they're they're the problem. Somebody said this to you and I both on Twitter, and it's perfectly said. That is a defense capable of going to the Super Bowl and an offense capable of going to the top five in a draft. Yeah. Yeah, yesterday was kind of a microcosm of the season in that the defense does the heavy lifting and the offense can't carry its weight. Um, you know, to the Pacers' point, Jake, I'd say two things. One, no one thought the Colts would be tanking entering the season. So I think that's what kind of adds to the frustration. And then two, the NFL and the fact that it is a 17-game season, you're playing in a division where it's not some vaunted four-team gauntlet you're never totally, totally out of it. And if you look at yesterday, for those that are still in the, hey, Jeff Saturday can turn some things around and look at the wild card picture, this and that, yesterday had the makings of you know, potentially a season-altering win. And for so much of that 60 minutes, it looked like, oh my gosh, 
The Colts are going to finish this off. They're going to be the talk of the NFL all through Thanksgiving. They're going to be on Monday Night Football next week, probably as, what, a five-point favorite at home against the Steelers. And yet, the inability for... It, it's offense to carry its weight. Finishing in general, we can get into a, a massive, massive issue um, for this football team. But, uh, boy, to be on the cusp of such a season, potentially season-changing win and then to let it slip away like that, uh, just brutal. Brutal. It, it's... It's early to point this stuff out, but I'm going to because it is somewhat applicable to where they are right now and what direction they go. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. Good morning to you on a Monday. Chilly one, admittedly, but hope you had a great weekend. My name is Jake Query. You just heard the voice of Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton, who used to eat cereal around this time every morning and for some reason has been on strike from that for a couple of months Cereal now. bars now. So, <laughs> what are you, lactose intolerant? No, clearly not with all the cereal I've digested in my time. It's a little bit of a cleaner breakfast. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. It's still Cow Chocula. Uh, well, that's the breakfast of champions, that's right. of course. You're damn right it is. No better way to start Thanksgiving week than Count Chocula, right? Mark. I'm still hanging on to my Halloween spirit. It's a good base go. for the stuffing you're going to have on Ready Thursday. Ready for some Frankenberry? And, uh, oh, I wish they made Frankenberry. Um, but anyway, it is a Monday morning. Good morning to you. Rick DeMoling, former Colts lineman, will join us at 9 a.m. on the program. We'll talk plenty about this Colts game from yesterday. But Kevin, maybe Can you play is- left tackle or right guard? No kidding, right? He's lost some weight. Uh, Maybe it's too early to look at this, and maybe it sounds absurd, except for hear me out, okay? I got to thinking about this last night, and I thought, the Colts, the division is clearly out of grasp at this point. I know mathematically it's not, but it's out of grasp, right? But the wild card is interesting. And the reason why is because when you really think about it, the first tiebreaker in the wild card... Is head to head, okay. The second tiebreaker in the wild card is conference record. Well, what's fascinating is it's entirely possible the Colts are going to get swept by the NFC East, but they may sweep the AFC West, right? So their conference record may actually be a strong suit for them within tiebreaker layouts the only problem is they need someone to tie for the tiebreaker well to matter it understood but look at where they still have the chargers on the schedule they're only the, the the tie makes things weird here they're what a half game behind the chargers right now right chargers they're, are out of the playoff picture right the chargers are one game ahead of the colts in the wild card chase Right, but outside of the playoffs, correct? correct? That is correct, yes. So what you have is you have Kansas City, Miami, Tennessee, and Baltimore. Very odd that the top four in the standings are four divisional leaders, right? But that's how it works. Then you have Buffalo. There's a wild card. New England wild card. But then after that, there are three teams that are all within two games of the Colts. I know that sounds ridiculous, but what I'm saying is, mathematically speaking, if you're Jim Irsay, you're looking at it, and you're saying, okay, we would have tiebreaker over, when you look in front, I mean, obviously not Kansas City, but within the conference record, we may have tiebreaker over, say, New York, Cincinnati, and if we beat the Chargers, we have it automatically over the Chargers because we will go head-to-head. My point being, if that carrot is still within sight, do the Colts continue to go out and start Matt Ryan and put best foot forward and do everything else? Or are we going to see at some point the return to, you know what, 
We're going to go with Sam Ellinger, write out what we have with the young guy now. We gave Jeff Saturday his opportunity to win games with Matt Ryan, and once we lost one of those now, it's time to go back towards getting out of drafting 15th to 18th. Yeah, I can't see them all of a sudden shifting gears again, at least in the immediate future. I mean, you've got two, two games until you're by. Steelers a week from tonight. And then the Cowboys Sunday night football, I, I fully expect Matt Ryan to be the starter. Maybe if you lose those two, Jake, all of a sudden you have a change of heart right. at the bye week. And for the final four, you go back to Ellinger. Um, but I, I cannot see Jeff Saturday and or Jim Mercer going down that path so quickly. Especially because, and again, the offense has issues right now, without question. Um, but you've played eight quarters under Jeff Saturday. You've led for seven of them. I mean, you've, you've been a better football team You're right. under Jeff Saturday. One thing that you've done in each of these two games, Jake, you've gotten off to great starts. I mean, yesterday was as good as you could have scripted from that touchdown drive, the first touchdown drive to start a game since Christmas. And then from then on, I thought probably the most disappointing aspect to the football game for the Colts was their rushing offense. Jonathan Taylor dominated on that opening drive. Seven carries for 49 yards. The rest of the game, Taylor had 35 yards on 15 carries. is that because the Colts went away from him or because the Eagles gave presentation that they were going to take him away? Oh, the Eagles took him away. I mean, he had 15 carries the rest of the game. Yeah. That's that, that. I mean, he had 20, he had 22 for the game. And that's not a great rush defense, though. That's the, no, you know. and that's why I think it's so... That, to me, is the most disappointing aspect of the game. Of That's Philly's weakness. You dominated that opening drive. Um, they're on the short week. They were beat up. And those moves they made last week, Linval Joseph and Adamakin Sue, both those free agent signings had some really, really important moments. I almost felt how eerie it was, Jake, sitting there and watching the fourth quarter, fourth quarter unfold and thinking, this is Washington all over again. Yeah. I mean, two-score lead, fourth quarter, no pass rush whatsoever. Your offense can't, like, put the game away. They can't get that another score. That you, you get the first and goal at the five-yard line. You can't convert that into a touchdown to, to ice it. And then you let a mobile quarterback make some plays with his legs, and that's exactly what Jalen Hurts did on several different different occasions on that final drive. I think that's what kind of adds to it. It's that you're on the verge of such a massive win. You got the game played at your pace, your score, your defense is putting together one of its best efforts in, in years, and yet 60 minutes is 60 minutes, and you kind of hoped to get to the finish line and Philly took it from you. Midway through the third quarter, did it or did it not feel like the Colts were up 21-0? Yeah, it felt like it was much bigger than what? At that point, it was 13-3. I think it was 13-3 at that point. But I mm-hmm. remember at one point thinking, like, they are, like, in control of this game. And then midway through the fourth quarter... I thought when McLaughlin missed that field goal, that 50-yarder... It's funny... Um, Guy sitting next to me said, "He goes, that's that's the kind of thing that's a momentum swinger." Gave them a short field, right? They scored a touchdown off that, and then it was game on. The, I thought the game really changed. You could, as obvious as it was in watching that game through the th- middle of the third, that the Colts were in control of it. It was equally obvious from about the seven minute mark on of the fourth quarter that that game was was mathematically falling right into the Eagles' hands because you looked at it. 
especially when the Colts had to settle for a field goal on that last possession, and you're like, okay, that means if Philadelphia gets the ball back, like they've got time to go down and score. And I thought they were just going to run the clock out. I thought they were going to run down to – I mean, granted, it was it was a third and goal when he scored. Yeah, third and goal from the seven. So you know, you kind of got to punch it in there. But man, did the seas open up for him? Oh my I gosh, mean, that I mean, that play, Jake. You could have run that in, right? I, I think Rosie could have run it in. Jake, he started celebrating the two yard line. Yes, his lead blocker didn't. His lead blocker could have blocked Blue through the end of the end zone. Uh, Blue was there, by the way. He was Blue was right there. When he was. He was. Um, I didn't know what Zaire Franklin was doing on that play. Like, he almost had his back turned to Hurts. And I'm thinking to myself, the fourth and two just happened a few plays earlier. It was Hurts. All, I mean, that is Jalen Hurts, Rodney McLeod, one-on-one. Uh, that was Philly going all in with Nick Sirianni taking that timeout on Jalen Hurts running the football in that situation. I, I get that that might not be, like, your direct responsibility, but to turn your back to him? I mean, that was a parting of the seas, biblical, whatever you want to call it. It was exactly that. You know, Jalen Hurts, I think this is kind of unfair. And actually, Randall Cunningham, who is still a hero in Philadelphia, Randall Cunningham might have been the first quarterback to kind of create this label for quarterbacks unfairly. But if a quarterback can run the football, then they are labeled as, well, he's just a running quarterback. And people automatically think of that as dismissive towards that player's passing ability. You know, Lamar Jackson was just a running quarterback. Remember, he was going to have to be a wide receiver at the NFL level. Michael Vick was just a running quarterback. He's going to have to, you know, learn how to be have pocket presence. Fran Tarkenton, for that matter. Fran the Scram. You know, he's a great player, but it was because he, he, he was just a runner. He could run around. Like, Jalen Hurts can throw the football, Kevin, and they got a ton of weapons. It actually... I think that we tend to almost take for granted how solid the Colts' defense is, to be honest with you. I mean, they held them in check for the vast majority of that game. Yeah, and that is low a high, points. Right, that's a, that mm-hmm. is a prolific, a dangerous offense. One thing I want to note on Hurts before we get to the Colts' defense, Jake, yesterday was another reminder of why having a mobile quarterback is just so, so dangerous. And it's the path, in my opinion, you have to take um, with the next move at QB. It seemed like this to me. If Matt Ryan is holding the ball past two seconds, the play is going to crumble. Like, Ryan's going to be under siege. There's no way he can do something after two seconds. If Jalen Hurts has the ball for longer than two seconds, a big play is going to happen. That dynamic, that element, that ingredient is missing. When we had Dane Brugler on a few weeks ago, Dane said a quote that I'm sure I'll say a lot between now and, and the draft in late April. The quarterback position is no longer a passer. It has to be a creator. That's a good way to put it. Hurts is a creator. Yeah. Taylor Heineke was a creator in the fourth quarter three weeks ago inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Matt Ryan needs everything to be perfect around him. And as soon as that pocket starts to break down, which it did a lot yesterday, that passing offense is just nothing. I mean, they can't do anything down the field. Unless the protection is absolutely perfect, and you're just not built up front right now. You you obviously want to be built up front, but Bernard Ryman and Will Fries had terrible days. Terrible Boy, days. Ryman had, I mean, a couple of penalties there. Oh, and they, got, they got run over on each of the last two drives. Matt Ryan was sacked on each of the last two drives with Ryman 
uh, in protection on both of those. As far as the Colts' defense, Jake, it was easily, easily the best game in a Colts uniform for Yannick Ngakwe. The strip sack to start the third quarter, I mean, that was blindside Freeney Mathis-esque with Philly trying to take a shot on that play. I thought he made a couple of nice plays in the run game, which is definitely a weakness of his. And you know Grover Stewart's going to make plays for you. Yeah, I mean, Grover and Buckner did their thing. Um, Yeah. (laughs) There's an element to finishing that game that the defense is going to absolutely look at themselves and probably did last night and think, man, those chances on the final drive. The Franklin pass interference penalty, the fourth and two run by Hertz, the third and seven like we just talked about. But still, if you tell Jeff Saturday yesterday morning you're going to hold the Eagles to 17 points, Jeff Saturday would be like, where do I sign? Great work by Gus Bradley. And they've done the heavy lifting. And entering Sunday, the question we asked late last week was, could you do it against a legit offense? It was honestly, we had questions about both units. Offensively for the Colts, the question was, was the Raiders the ideal opponent or is this the new Colts offense? Well, the answer yesterday was the Raiders are the ideal opponent. On the flip side of that, the question exiting Las Vegas was, is this Colts defense legit or have they just played a bunch of middling to bad offenses outside of Kansas City, really? Well, they played one of, if not the best offenses in the NFL yesterday and Gus Bradley's unit was outstanding. And it's a shame, because to your earlier point, Jake, that you echoed a, a message from one of our listeners, yeah, it, it's a it's an offense, it's a defense playing January caliber defense, and it's an offense waiting for the offseason vacation to the Caribbean to be here. Did we see unusually, at one point, and I didn't watch every snap like this particular player, but it seemed to me like we heard Brandon Faison's name more yesterday. Like, maybe he was at times showing himself to also have an Ngakwe kind of coming out party. But then again, I thought at that position, he might have also been victimized like five different times. I I didn't notice it. I I thought he had a couple of moments that would qualify as probably one of his better stretches of of the season, which again, the bar has not been set very high by him. I think he got beat a couple times, but nothing too crazy. He had great coverage on Devontae Smith. Um, down the sideline. I thought the A.J. Brown-Stephon Gilmore matchup was tremendous to watch. Um, But at this point of the season, Jake, again, for those that are in the playoff crowd, for those that look at the wildcard standings like you were pointing out earlier and still see light at the end of the tunnel, you can't celebrate a moral victory on November 21st. Not not at 4-5-1 before you were yesterday. tell that to Tom Allen. You well. You just weren't in a position to, and you aren't in a position to sit here on a Monday and be like, man, a lot of great strides. You know, if they just put it together, they can make the playoffs. You have no margin for error. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's with the record that you have four, six, and one. We said it last week. You got to go five and two down the stretch. Now you got to go five and one. You know, one thing that's fascinating, I've never noticed until now, until I pulled up the box score here. The, the Eagles logo, not the not the ones that they had on their helmet of the Eagle, but you know the other logo they have that's like their alternative logo, uh, their alternate logo, I should say, that has the Eagle head. It's tilted at such an angle. They need to straighten it out. If you look at the, if you really look at this, Kevin, and I know it's radio, people can't see it, but you know they can look at home and play along. It, it, it's tilted in such a way, and his beak is open that he looks terrified. 
is he is he screaming like it looks like what what someone would look like in a caricature if they were they were like on a plane that was going down. Well, Does if he's it? screaming, that could be Nick Sirianni <laughs> at the end of the game. That's what he lo- he looks literally. Like he looks like what an Eagles fan would look like for the first three quarters of the game yesterday. That's not a ferocious looking eagle. That's an eagle that's like, what the hell is going on? I'm completely descending here, which is what it looked like yesterday. At one point, I thought to myself, are we seeing the unravel of the Eagles here? They finally lost a game and now they're going to be Arizona of a year ago, right? Um, but then I think you also have to look at it and say, no, I mean, the reason that they're 9-1 and one is because they found a way to win that game. And, and I think that point, Jake, you've covered so much of the NFL, and you obviously remember those Peyton teams. It's not like it was smooth sailing and perfect football for all 60 minutes. Correct. But in the fourth quarter, when good it mattered teams most. find ways right. to get it done. Right. And honestly, in a weird way, that was Washington a few weeks back. I think over the course of a season, you find ways in those moments to make the plays in Philadelphia certainly did that uh pacers magic tonight that is over at gamebridge Fieldhouse at seven o'clock don't look now jake but the indiana pacers four straight wins i find it interesting that all four of those wins they've come back from down double digits i know after the first quarter it's not like they get down you know 12 to 2 these are after the first quarter uh, they beat houston on friday they beat the magic on saturday the sound of Kevin's now Mars lightning. Was well, that a little premature? Well, not the way you're thinking. Now, if they win tonight, I'm a third of the way there, folks. See? See? I did think this about the Pacers season entering it. It's the weird balance of, obviously, there's a section of the fan base out there that wants to see them get as high a draft pick as possible. I also think it's really important for a bunch of young guys that are either new to the NBA or new to trying to win at the NBA level, it's important to like close out games. And they've done that this season. Last year, they were horrific in closing out games. They've done that in different ways. I mean, Saturday night, it was Aaron D. Smith, an offensive rebound. Um, he was huge. Five threes in that game. So now nine and six on the year. Three home games this week. Magic, Timberwolves, and Nets before they head out west for seven. The I'm telling you, Aaron Neesmith, I like Aaron Neesmith and I like Andrew Nimhard in terms of young pieces that are they ever going to be like long-term starters here? No, but your your fifth, you know, your sixth, seventh guy, I like him. Now you brought up Tom Allen earlier. Did he run back to Bloomington? Okay. Can I say this before we get to break? Because I don't know that IU football is like worthy of us going on the long tangents about. I'd like for people to, you can send me a tweet, which is at Jake Query, J-A-K-E-Q-U-E-R-Y, or you can text me at 317-523-9288. I like to sometimes get like a barometer of am I out of my mind. 523-9288 is the number to text me. Please don't hold back, folks, with the am I out of my mind <laughs> comment. I know it was a huge win for Indiana and and a, and a very impressive display of not throwing in the towel when probably everyone had written them off when they were down 24-7 at the half and 31-14, I think, at one point. And then they come back and win in double overtime. Very impressive, unquestionably. But if I was the fan of another school or any anybody else watching, passing by on television – I would think that Tom Allen acts like a complete lunatic on the sidelines 
And I, I know that like energy and rah-rah is part of his thing. And he's a motivator and what, and I get that. And I know he's a, a wonderfully nice human being. But at some point when you are the head football coach of a Division One football program in a Power 5 conference, you should act like you are a football coach in a Division One Power 5 conference that expects to be competitive, not by jumping around and celebrating every fourth down stop as if you are, in fact, Moorhead State that's holding off Alabama. And... In addition to that, when the game is over, haven't they been more Morehead State though? In the I, I, lately well, that's the, the problem though. But like you're trying to tell people you're not, and when the game is over, your responsibility from a sportsmanlike standpoint is to go across the field and shake hands with the opposing coach, not run around maniacally jumping on people and losing your shoe and falling off your glasses and scratching your face, and then oh, by the way, I've got to go shake hands with a coach. I, I think it upstages the opponent to an extent. But I think more than that, it more amplifies, especially when you've won two Big Ten games in two seasons, the fact that you don't expect to win. You're shocked and you're stunned that you are playing competitively and it is counterproductive towards your program because it looks to everyone on the outside, and I know it only matters what people on the inside think, whatever, but it looks to the outside like you are a guy that cannot believe that you're in that situation. And eventually, that kind of a nervous energy, I think, has to translate down to players where they just feel it on every single play. Slightly different. Sideline behavior from Mike Woodson. They get a win at Xavier on Friday night. That will look very good on the tournament resume come March. They beat Miami of Ohio. I kind of forgot that game was going on at Gamebridge Fieldhouse yesterday. Kind of sloppy first 15 minutes, and then Indiana pulled away and dominated that one. Uh, we've got a World Cup match today between the United States and, do you know their opponent, Jake? Uh, England? Very close. So not Iran, because I know that's in their group as well, right? Yep, you got mm-hmm. three of the four teams in the group. The fourth team, first time in the World Cup since, I believe, the 50s. Uh, Algeria. No. They beat Algeria a few no, years it's, ago. This is actually a European. It Denmark? Boy, Belgium. I feel like you're close. Finland. Sweden. Switzerland. They're always in the neutral zone, by the way. Is there a neutral zone in soccer? I don't know, but if there Do is, you want to keep guessing. If there is, is this, that's where is this Switzerland's awful found. Radio. This is this is uh, a European country. Correct. Is yes. it? A, if I told you I was going there on vacation, would you go? That's cool. Or would you go? Well, that's weird. Probably the latter. Croatia. Beautiful Croatia. Wales. Oh, I di- I knew that. I absolutely knew that. Two o'clock on the. You pitch, only needed to give them thirty more guesses. I was going to say how many more. European countries did I, you we know have what? to go. I, I absolutely I thought with you Wales. being over there last month, you would I have know. I, I, known that. I mean, literally like two days ago, I saw that they were playing Wales, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Lady Dot. I mean, yeah, I, I knew that. Rick DeMolin going to join us at 9 o'clock. We'll take your calls, 317-239-1070. What could have been yesterday for the Colts for 50-some minutes, 55 minutes probably. It looked like a season-altering win. Not to be though 60 minutes of football the Eagles made the plays late 17-16 the Colts fall to 4-6-1 and one on the season we'll break it all down on this Monday morning looks like a not, it's chilly but looks like a nice start here to Thanksgiving week in Indy Kevin Bowen Jake Quarry Mark Dykton 93.5-107.5 The Fan The Morning Checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
17-16, the Eagles come back to beat the Colts for the second straight home game. The Colts blow a two-score lead in the fourth quarter. Could not finish, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. Chances to push that lead even further. Could not get it done. Here was Jeff Saturday afterwards on the mistakes by the Indy offense. Tough one, right? We we had everything in front of us. We didn't execute enough to, to get the win. Disappointing loss, obviously. Uh, just too many mistakes. I mean, too many penalties, too many negative plays. Um, you know, missing missing kicks. Just you can't you can't play a, a team that good and give them that many opportunities. We just left them in the game, and ultimately they made uh, made one more play than we did. Circle that first and goal at the five, Jake. After the big play to Paris Campbell, about five minutes to go in that game. Um, Jonathan Taylor stuffed. Parks Frazier dials up an end around that did not work out. A fake end around. Don't think the O line's holding up in that. And Matt Ryan sacked on third down. When you had to settle for a field goal there, sixteen ten. You were just waiting for well, the Well, and I looked the at game. the clock, right? I oh, looked at the clock, and I'm like, there you go. Um, and then again, you know, you got time after the Eagles scored, uh, but the Colts not able to convert on that. Elsewhere around the league yesterday, by the way, Tennessee uh, over Green Bay, that was on Thursday, 27-17. So the division pretty much Blackers out of the picture. Suck. But then when you look at the rest of the AFC, you know, we made the point earlier that the Colts' conference record is not terrible, but those that are in the mix in terms of right now starting to look at the wild card picture, New England over the Jets 10-3 yesterday. The Chargers now fall back, you know, obviously further back into that playoff picture in the wild card standpoint after Kansas City beat them 30-27 last night. Patrick Mahomes did what Patrick Mahomes does. Uh, Justin Herbert, I think the world of his talent, but the Chargers are just that team that every year you look at it halfway through, Kevin, and you're like, oh, 500. How's that happen? How about the Lions have won three in a row? The fighting Motmans, man. They're, they're First not time in around, five right? years the Lions have won three in a row. The AFC East, NFC East, all eight teams better than 500. The AFC South, the NFC South, one team. Can you over imagine 500. at the beginning of the year if I would have told you, and, and I realize there's still football to be played, but the possibility that the Colts would sweep the AFC West but get swept I, I by the NFC East? I know. I would have laughed at you. I mean, whoever would have guessed it. Uh, College basketball yesterday, Indiana 86-56, 30-point win over Miami, Ohio. That played at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. The one thing that I find the most interesting about that is not that Trace Jackson Davis had 17 with 16 boards, not that freshman Jalen Huchifino had 12 points, but the fact that, I'll be honest with you, I mean, I knew about it, but I heard very little discussion from people about the fact that Indiana was playing a game at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Yeah, doing it on a Colts home game, I, I guess you get a little bit of foot traffic coming over from Lucas Oil Stadium, but still, I don't know. It just seemed like it wasn't as marquee of an event that I think you would like it to be uh, playing in Indianapolis. Uh, tonight over Gamebridge Fieldhouse, it'll be back for the Pacers court. Um, that'll be the Magic. Our coverage begins at 6.30. Again, this is a back-to-back with the Magic. They played on Saturday night. The Pacers won that. Aaron Neesmith, an offensive rebound and two free throws. Uh, then the Pacers get a defensive stop to beat Orlando. That came after they won in Houston the night before, despite scoring just 10 points in the opening quarter. Again, they are closing out games um, with Miles Turner in the lineup. I believe they're 8-2. and two. Jake, you know, we talked about his injury situation early in the year. Remember he tweaked the ankle on opening right. night, kind of the freak accident there in warm-ups. Uh, they started off 1-4 and four and have been a much different team with him in there. So it'll be Magic, Timberwolves, and Nets this week. Finally, in college football, I want to tip the cap to a couple of programs around the area whose seasons did come to an end over the weekend after a good year. That includes DePaul 
They were outed by Carnegie Mellegan, 45-14, who, to boot them out of the Division Three playoffs. NAIA, Marion continues on. They beat St. Xavier, 41-7. Indiana Wesleyan, 14-7 over uh, Avila, or Avila of Missouri. And the University of Indianapolis defeated 35-0 in Division Two playoffs. But you know who beat them? Pittsburgh State. The Gorillas, baby. Dallas Flowers. That's right. He was back returning a kick at one point yesterday. Uh, bucket game coming up this Saturday. Purdue slugs its way to a win over Northwestern. Boy, for a while there on Saturday, it looked like Iowa was going to lose to Minnesota, and Purdue would be playing for a trip to the Big Ten title game. So they will need Iowa to lose to Nebraska. Unlikely. Unlikely. On Friday. That game's at Friday. Uh, Purdue and Indiana, 3.30. You see the early line on that one? Uh, I'll go with... In Bloomington. Seven and a half. Purdue favored by 10. Okay. Um, when we come back, speaking of rivalries, not saying it's exactly that, but Nick Sirianni had some very interesting things to say about a franchise that he knows a little about, his former employer, the Indianapolis Colts. He got the win yesterday, then said a couple of things that might raise your eyebrow. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. We'll let you hear what we're talking about next. Colts lose 17-16 to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. For those that missed it, it was a fired-up Sirianni, to say the least, at the end of that game. Uh, I got home, went back and watched the second half, Jake, and I thought Nick Sirianni, him celebrating after the game, like he was high-fiving some of the Colts coaches like they were his own coaches. Like he goes up to David Thornton. I thought he was going to run David Thornton over. He's high fiving Reggie Wayne aggressively. I'm like, geez, man, there's a uh, there's an element there that that is actually your opponent and not guys that you used to coach with. Uh, but Sirianni is pretty fired up post game, wasn't he? Uh, or, Nick or Sirianni, I should say pretty pretty emotional. Yeah. First off, if you saw the video, it, as the game was concluding, Nick Sirianni, who by the way began his college coaching career um, at Mount Union before going on to becoming a coach at Indiana. That's Indiana of Pennsylvania, by the way. Um, but notably, where we around here became familiar with Nick Sirianni was when he came on under Frank Reich as the offensive coordinator in 2018 and worked, obviously, very closely with Frank Reich and I think has the absolute, as you're about to hear, very high and, and uh, highest level of respect and reverence for Frank Reich. But at one point, I thought Sirianni 
turned around and I thought he was yelling at Colts fans. Yeah, it, it did look like that. Uh-huh. But just to his left of the Colts fans, there was a group of Eagles fans, and I think he was, you know, celebrating to that. You know what I mean? Like I thought yeah, he that's went how back we do the it. Yeah, second kind of time. CBS showed him twice interacting with the front row and interacting is probably the PR word to use. Um, I thought the second time he was a little chirpier with Colts fans. Yeah, I mean. Um, you know, clearly like an excitable type guy. Did, were you around him much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he is. That is him. I mean, I think I said it last week, Jake. He will be chirping with Colts players during the game. Like him and Frank Wright could not have more different personalities. Um, and I think that's a big reason why Frank wanted to hire him. Frank knew that he is more of a subdued individual. And Nick brings that fire. And I think it's brought that to Philly. And what I saw was a pissed off human at Jim Irsay. For the handling of Frank Reich. Okay, and if you listen to this in its totality, that's what it sounds like as well as what it looked like. Here we go. I'm emotional because I love Frank Reich. I really do, and he's a, he's one of the best damn football coaches I've ever been around. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I was hoping that that him and I would be able to coach against each other uh, in this game. But he he is one of, he he's my one of my biggest mentors. I got my dad, I got Larry Karras, and I, and I got Frank Reich. And Frank's such a good football coach. And uh, yeah, you don't want to know what I think uh, of if he should be here or not. But because uh, you guys can probably imagine what I really think. Um, and uh, I love him. And uh, so I got a little bit emotional about that. And it was good to see the guys that I really cared about and some of the, the, the things that, you know, Quentin Nelson and, and Ryan Kelly and Paris Campbell, I got to talk to them after the game and Kenny Moore. Um, so, th- you know, that, that means a lot when they say some, some things that are – obviously I keep those things to myself. But I spent a lot of time here. My kids – one of my ch- children was born here, and it's uh, it was sweet to come here, especially with what happened in this organization in the last couple weeks, and, and, and get the win, the win. We live in Indianapolis with a win. That last part, especially with everything that happened in this franchise the last couple of weeks, I would assume that Nick Sirianni has a relationship with Jeff Saturday. I, you know, I mean, Saturday obviously being a consultant to the franchise, one would assume during the time Sirianni was here. I'm not saying that he dislikes Jeff Saturday, but. Maybe that was less about Saturday and the process that the Colts have caught heat for about the hiring and the interim level of Jeff Saturday, which was outside the box. We've gone over what we think about that and more just about the Frank Reich situation. But I just thought that last part was a little bit of a twist. Yeah, I think it's strictly a middle finger to Jim Irsay. I think that's exactly what that was from Sirianni. I actually asked him last Wednesday if he knew Jeff Saturday, and I I thought he did, and he said he didn't. So I don't think that is any reflection of Nick Sirianni and Jeff Saturday. I think it's purely, and I think his comment, Jake, that he mentions about the players and some of their post-game comments with Nick Sirianni, I could very well see the players being like, yeah, I mean, you know Matt was benched because the owner wanted him benched. And if we would have played Matt or continue to play Matt, Frank probably is still here. Um, I'm reading a little bit into it, right? but that's what I infer from that. So I, I think that is Sirianni's post-game emotion, I think is purely his staunch relationship with Frank Reich, his defense of Frank Reich, and it's a middle finger to Jim Mercer. Here, Here's where I would be PO'd. And by what he's saying there in terms of like, what's happened with this franchise. You know, I think there's the possibility there that also, Kevin, that 
what he is I, I, the initial reaction is he's saying that like he's unhappy that Frank Reich was just, you know that his unhappiness with what happened within this franchise that he is speaking strictly on the timeline of from the time Frank Reich was dismissed and the fact that he was dismissed that reads to me like the possibility that what he is saying is, look, Frank Reich lost his job partially because he was forced to put a quarterback in there that wasn't ready to go, and it completely derailed their season. And then he got fired. And that upsets me because he was given a raw deal and he was put in a situation where he was forced to fail. And if that's what Nick Sirianni's saying, that leads me to believe he's probably hearing that from somebody. And right. who would that Agreed. be? Well, I think probably from some players. Or Frank Reich. Sure. Or Frank Reich, who said, sure. look, man, yeah. what, what they want me to do? Like, all of a sudden, the owner comes down one day. The owner who tells me that he's not going to meddle comes down to my office and says, you're starting the guy that, in late August, sports talk shows in this town were having a discussion as to whether or not the Colts were going to have to find a way to keep him on the roster just to protect him from the practice squad. And all of a sudden, the owner wants him as the starter. And we go into two games where we are not putting out our best chance to win. And they lose those games, and then Frank Reich gets fired. I don't think Sirianni was referencing this, but hearing those comments, Jake, and watching that game unfold yesterday, at some point, when does all of the offensive blame not fall on Chris Ballard for this season? A hundred percent. You know, everyone has just said, oh, it's Frank's play calling. Oh, it's Frank's play calling. I mean, he's way too aggressive. He gets too cute, this and that. At some point, you have to look at this offensive personnel and think, you handed Matt Pryor a left tackle job. You handed Danny Pinter a right guard job. Now you're on the third left tackle, the third right guard. So yesterday was another reminder of the massive deficiencies you have in those two spots. You didn't make a single free agent acquisition at tight end or wide receiver. And yet you thought that... I guess the Matt Ryan arrival would cure all and that your offense would be at an acceptable level. If your offense was just middling, like if you just had a middle-of-the-pack offense, we'd be talking about the Colts as a January-type football team. It would not be, you need 732 things to go their way over the final six weeks. Um, Yesterday, and I think we'll continue to see this as the rest of the year plays out, the shift will go from Frank Reich's play calling was the offensive issue to the offensive personnel is a massive deficiency for the Colts. Okay, Kevin. Here's the thing. And by the way, so now we're talking about a middling offense and a meddling owner. It's very confusing. Well, it's not even a middling offense. Um, It's an awful offense. Since, let's say, when the season began, when it felt like when you had talked about wideouts, and we know that you had talked plenty about wideouts, like you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't swing a dead cat, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing about wideouts, right? Chris Ballard knew that you couldn't hear about anything anywhere other than hearing about wideouts. But, <laughs> Mark's looking for that. Here's the thing. Since that time, the Colts have replaced the quarterback. Same results reinstituted the quarterback that was removed same results they've tried three different left tackles same results they've tried like three different right guards same results they've changed offensive coordinators same results 
They've changed head coach. Same results. At some point, do you then start to figure out that you've changed the shingles on the roof, you've changed the sealant around the windows, and you've changed the locks on the front door, and yet cold air is still getting in, maybe you should go back and ask the guy that built your house what exactly is wrong, right? At some point. Except for that the guy that built your house, every day when he left work, walking through the front yard to get back in his car, told everybody else on the block he knows more about building houses than they do, so don't you dare ask me about it. Y'all have been kicking the out of me for years for not drafting wideouts, and all of a sudden I look up and, you know, we're underperforming on the offensive line right now. Yeah, to me it's so much of it as personnel, if not all of it. Um, And I think you continue to watch this offense unfold, and it's zero vertical passing game whatsoever. And once Philly got a stranglehold of that run defense yesterday after the opening drive, your offense could not sustain whatsoever. And at some point, you've got to look at the personnel and the lack of acquisitions you made to support your aging quarterback. Because when you don't support him, Matt Ryan's age gets exposed even more. Yep. And I thought we saw that yesterday. By the way, I know that Matt Ryan, there was contact to his face mask. Somebody asked me on that last sack. That would have given the Colts. I agree, but I didn't think it would. I didn't think it was egregious enough to be a face mask penalty. I thought it was inadvertent contact with the face mask, and immediately the hand was pulled away. We'll take your calls coming up in the eight o'clock hour. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. Thoughts on yesterday? Again, the Colts fall to four six and one on the year. Defense outstanding. Um, Look like a potentially season altering win. Instead, the Colts fall. Um, and blow another two-score lead at home. Rick DeMolin going to join us in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin Aquari on a Monday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Mark, I hate to chuckle every time you play this, but I'm like, really? You like That's it? fine. People are trying to get up and going no. for a Monday morning, right? It's a nice sunny day out. It's a little chilly. It's a short week. Like, we, we got a shortened field, right? I mean, we just took the, the, well, the kickoff other, here to start the, the week, and we got it out to the 40. Club, do you really want to hurt me? And that's no, a little that's, too upbeat. Well, I, I went to Sea Culture Club in 1982 with a serial killer. What? Um, yeah, we'll save that topic for another day. I think I've, I think I've, I've mentioned that before. I believe. How about um, the Rick Venturi call there on Jalen Hurts' <laughs> touchdown? Oh no! How great is that? Do we have that, Mark? <laughs> yeah. I I was in. Well, you, that that you know shows you, Kevin, thought? how much that sea opened up. Right, you could see it from a mile away. Well, Jake, the first thought I had honestly was, oh wow, the Colts only had ten guys in the field. That was my first yeah. thought. When Jalen Hurts ran that ball in, he leaps from like the one and a half yard line to celebrate. The lead blocker didn't need to do anything. I don't, I mean, trust me, the defense did so, so much 
good for you yesterday. And the offense is certainly the unit to blame. But you talk about finishing NFL games, putting games away. No pass rush on that final drive. Hurts on the fourth and two. And then Hurts there, third and goal from the seven. Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end zone. No. He you threw know it. they're going to do that. He ran it right up the gut and scampers into the end zone untouched. I mean, Matt Taylor's right. He danced into the end zone. I said that wasn't a hole. That was a canyon that he went through. Well, the through. thing is, and this is what is, is interesting to me about sports sometimes. We get so caught up and so excited about you know what are they going to come up with here? It's it's third and goal from the eight. They've been you know they if I'm not mistaken, it was either the play or two plays before that where Hertz gets pushed back. I mean they had it what the two or the three? Yeah, Gakwe made a great stop. I think on second down. And so he gets pushed back, and you know you're curious. You're thinking about like the Frank Reich, the Philly special, like what sort of like wild card up their sleeve? I realize totally different administration. You know what 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 are they going to have to come up with here with the weapons that he has to throw to from eight yards out and da, da, da. and they just drop him back and and there you go and i mean it was sometimes you outthink yourself and like where's the spy in that situation right you know they had done a nice job at times spying hurts um i i just did not understand that whatsoever again the offense had a first and goal from the five yard line four minutes before that and that was a chance to put the game away and you know, Parks Frazier is a second game play caller, but Jake, the end around on second and goal from the five, thinking your offensive line was going to hold up. Ryan almost got smoked on that play. Now it's third and goal from the five. He does get smoked. Um, that sequence is what I thought kind of put the nail in the coffin because, yeah, I just felt like Philly you was going to drive down and score. Paul the, the mailman agrees with you. Jake, why in the heck do the Colts only run up the middle? They never get Taylor outside, although on that play you're saying when they went outside, they should have gone inside, right? Well, Taylor stuffed on the first and goal from the five. Um, just that whole sequence after the Paris Campbell catch. Um, you gave Philly life. You kept them in the game with it only being one possession, and it was costly. Uh, 317-239-1070. We'll take your phone calls here. Again, Rick DeMolin going to join us in about an hour. Let's start with David. David wanted I think to talk about the offense for the Colts. Good morning, David. Good morning, guys. Hey, um we have no once we once they stop eleven or twenty eight, we have nobody. We don't even use our tight end. We have nobody. If you think in the uh, Peyton Manning era, Peyton Manning era, we had a lot of superstars. Even going up to the uh, two thousand nine we have quite a few superstars going back to the Super Bowl we lost. We have nobody. We don't even use our tight end. Is there a reason? Yeah, Mo Alley Cox um, finally had a catch yesterday. I feel like that was his first catch like in over a month. Um, I know I've said it several times this season, but they miss Jack Doyle. Totally. And they miss him probably a little bit more in just kind of the quiet things that you don't account for. But I think him as a blocker. I think a lot of the issues in the run game this year have been tight end driven from a blocking standpoint and just having a reliable pass catching option is kind of a safety valve that's been missing too. So I feel I, like I, I think tight end is a position that has had a flash or two early on in the year from Jelani Woods, Kylan Granson a couple weeks ago. But it's been uh it's been a group that you just need more out of. And does it feel, Kevin, am I alone in saying that it, it feels like they even though I realize he had a few catches yesterday but that as Alec Pierce started to emerge that they've kind of gotten away from him again? I, am I totally off base in saying that? 
Um, a little bit. He had eight targets yesterday, Jake, which is actually the most on the team. Uh, but yeah, I, I think was it last week he had none. Yeah, like it just it seemed like he was quickly emerging of like, oh man, this guy's going to be you know right there as their number two or two A receiver. It's just an offense that cannot threaten the opponent at all down the field. Yes, that, that at all. Totally agree. Like nothing, fifteen to twenty yards down the field. Um, can you do that on a routine basis? And I know I said it earlier, when Matt Ryan holds the ball past two seconds, I'm waiting for disaster to strike. When Jalen Hurts was holding the ball past two seconds yesterday. Oh, you're I waiting wait- for disaster to strike from the defensive standpoint. Exactly. Yeah. You're just, uh, here comes the highlight. <laughs> and You know, that pass interference penalty on Zaire Franklin, that play happens because you don't even sniff Jalen Hurts in the first five seconds of that play. You allow for Miles Sanders, the running back who came in motion on that play, and then ran kind of like a little bit of a flat, just like a little route out out in the flat, and then he took off down the sideline. That play needs a lot of time to develop with no pass rush, which was so reminiscent of what Taylor Heineke did inside of Lucas Oil Stadium a few weeks ago on that game-winning drive. You allow these mobile QBs to keep plays alive like that. You can't ask for your guys in cover. Sure, you would like for Franklin to make... A smarter play there, but you can't ask for your guys in, in in coverage to hold up that long. You know what's funny to me though? We, and by that I'm going to say you, the fans, uh, me, uh, in, in general. I mean, no one guilty party here, just in, in in as a group. We talk about how the Colts need to get, and you look around the league, and you look at. You know, Jalen Hurts is the prime example, and obviously the latest example of this. Josh Allen comes to mind. Mahomes, for that matter, last night. What do we say? They got to get a quarterback that can run the football. You've got to get a mobile, movable, athletic quarterback. Except for that, they had one, and everybody talked about how he had to quit running the football. You know what I mean? Like with Andrew Luck, it was. I mean, every call that you would take was this guy's got to quit running the ball and learn how to slide, or else he's going to get hurt. And da da da. And I get it. He was probably a little reckless in determining when to go down. But still, you know, everybody freaks out when your quarterback is an athletic quarterback because you feel like you're shortening their lifespan in the league. But Lamar Jackson, we talked about it yesterday. Lamar Jackson changed everything. Hagan and I were talking about it, and Hagan's like, look, as soon as Lamar Jackson people realized that his style of play was not going away and they were able to win with that, that changed the league in terms of everybody wanting to replicate that. And it is where everything's gone, right, in terms of offensive – game plans and jake i'm not even saying lamar jackson like the colts don't necessarily need to be looking for the next michael vick right you just need somebody that can extend plays it's a guy that can just keep some things alive a a little subtle move in the pocket here or there get outside of the pocket all of a sudden you're creating something that's not drawn up x and o's and you force a seed of doubt into the defense i mean the colts yesterday again hurts is is a very good runner the colts had to have a spy for so much of yesterday um Brad brings up a good point. Not only Jack Doyle, but Zach Pascal. I think he's missed from a run blocking standpoint. Uh, Mark Cush, we go next. Let's go with Austin. Austin, good morning. Morning, guys. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? Good. Uh, go Irish, Kevin. That was a, a nice, uh, good win for the boys on uh, Saturday. It was. I, I did not think they would win hey, by that much. Boston guys- College. Thanks. You guys want to know what's going to happen yeah. here, Austin, before we get to your point? Uh, they're going to spoil USC's uh, playoff next week. And you know who they're going to help? Uh, Cl- 
Clemson has to go against South Carolina, so we'll see. Well, I know. No, no question. I mean, Clemson's got a a long road ahead of them because they've got to play South Carolina and then North Carolina in the ACC title game. But if Clemson's able to hold serve, and that's a big if. I'm not saying that's a given. But if Clemson's able to hold serve in those two games – Notre Dame can do them a lot of help because that Notre Dame loss is looking less egregious by the week because Notre Dame is playing really well and they're skyrocketing up the rankings so that Clemson may still backdoor their way in which sounds totally bizarre to say but it's possible not probable but possible anyway go ahead Austin I first thought you were going to go with Dane Goodwin's game winner to beat Lipscomb on Friday night by Notre Dame basketball but I I, I, I thought we'd spend an hour on that this morning yeah uh, I I was just like watching the game last night and comparing the Colts offense, the Colts offense is excruciating to watch. It's, they make it look so hard. And like you look at the chiefs, the bills, I mean, it's, they make it look so much easier. The Colts are so far behind from those teams when they're playing well. And yeah, they got some work to do. So uh, thanks for taking my call. Go Irish. Thank you, Austin. Go Irish. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Um, yeah, the offense just lacks juice, lacks jolt. Like, I, I watched Indiana on Saturday, Jake, with Dexter Williams, a quarterback, and at least he gives them life. I know he completed sure. two passes no, the whole game, right. but he at least gives you life. I don't feel like the Colts have any igniters offensively. No one that's just like, boom, they can turn around a game really, really quickly. Um, So much has to go right for the Colts to to do something offensively. There is nothing. If you watch games, whether you're a player, whether you're a fan, whether you're a coach, whatever it might be, there are a few things more like that take the wind out of your sail, kick to the gut more than when you have a play dead to rights and something happens and the quarterback squeaks loose and ekes out a 12-yard run or goes across his body and finds an open tight end and what is thought to be an absolute certainty, get them off the field, loss of downs, whatever, the drive extends. It is, I mean, literally... That's backbreaking for a defense. It is, that is exactly right. And Indiana, I mean, IU, IU had that in East Lansing where they had plays where the Michigan State defense, you could tell, like the air was absolutely taken out of them. And yesterday, late in the game, the Eagles – now, the Eagles did have a couple of drives where it was one of the most impressive backward movements I've ever seen due to penalties. And even then, they still almost made up for it. At one point, they had a what? First and 35? (laughs) Yeah. And And they still put themselves in position to continue the drive. But that's – like when you have an offense dead to rights – and they extend plays, it is. it can absolutely psychologically break a team. And the Colts don't have that. They don't have the, the talent or the mobility to do that, plain and simple. Fred says this. I'm biased. I think Fred is a Bengals fan here. But he goes, Joe Burrow is a perfect example of what you're talking about needing a QB. Don't think of him as a runner, but again um, he makes things happen in the pocket and can run better than people think. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm not Lamar Jackson or even a Jalen Hurts, but or Josh Allen to that degree, but just subtle movements in the pocket to extend plays. Um, I got a tweet here, Jake, which I think kind of goes back to the earlier point I was making about Ballard and the personnel offensively. What did Philadelphia do last week? 
Short week, they get it run down their throat on Monday night against Washington. They go out and they make two big signings at defensive tackle. And those two guys come into their building late week. Linval yeah. Joseph on a Thursday and Dominican Sue on a Friday. And both of them were critical in absolutely shutting down the Colts run game after that opening drive. Nothing. Jonathan Taylor averaged two yards per carry after that opening drive. And we're now in, what week is this? Just 11? We're now week 11. And the Colts have done what? Along their offensive line? From an outside the building move? What have they done at tight end? What have they done at wideout? And this is the 31st ranked scoring offense because I've heard from Chris Ballard for years. Roster building is a 12-month type of project. It's not just about March free agency, even though that's the time where you shop at the market that offers the best quality of goods if you want to go there. No, no, no. He, he likes to sit that out. Okay. He's a big believer in you can find guys at different parts of the offseason. Well, here we are now in week 11, the 31st-ranked scoring offense in the NFL, and I have seen absolutely zero outside-of-the-building moves to try and bolster this offense. Kevin, I said it earlier. They made Over the course of this season, the Colts, to get their offense going, the Colts have made a change at quarterback and put in a young quarterback that they wanted to see what he could do and then made the change back to their veteran quarterback. They've made a change at left tackle by taking out the guy that was given $5 million and there were a lot of question marks about, but we were told that we didn't know what we were talking about and replaced it with a rookie who had some critical penalties yesterday in growing pains. They made a change at right guard by taking a guy that probably is undersized that they started out in the year, they moved him out, and they've they've had a couple of different rotations, including the guy that got five million to be the left tackle, went over to that side, and that, that didn't work out. They've made that change. They they've made the change in offensive coordinator by firing the offensive coordinator and then uh, offering the job to a couple of other people after they fired the head coach, made the change of head coach, and then they ended up giving the offensive coordinator responsibilities to a guy who was the default because the initial guy they asked didn't want to do it. Um, so all those things have changed. The only thing that hasn't changed is the person who's making all these changes. Right? Yeah. Who's smarter than everyone else. By the way, um, we should say good morning to Matt because I rode the elevator with them yesterday at the game. Uh-huh. I got in the elevator and you know, you're all cramped in because for seven hundred twenty million dollars they couldn't buy a third elevator. Well so, the other one was broken yesterday too. <laughs> or maybe it was being held for the coaches, I think. So I get in the elevator and a guy and there's kind of a silence and the guy says, Hey, I love the show. And I said, well, thanks. You and my mom, that's two people. And I think actually what he loved about the show was you, and he was disappointed that it was me and not you in the elevator. Uh, but Matt was super cool. Works for the, I said, what do you do for a living? He goes, I work for the U.S. government. Don't hold it against me. I said, no, nah, it's a cool job. And then we got to his floor, and he departed. Um, but he sent me a text that he's listening this morning. Well, I, so I'll give a shout-out to O'Shea. He listens. I saw him on Friday, Jake. I, I thought they spelled differently. Okay. Um, I went over this. We, we, we exchanged numbers uh, in the bathroom, ironically. I was trying to get Rosie to go to the bathroom. How and all many sudden, conversations take place in the bathroom with you these days? <laughs> you had the Rosie. You had the Rosie toilet issue last week. Well, that was at my house. Now you're talking to strangers in the toilet. Well, he he approached me first, and I thought I'd be friendly if with him. You can him. see the look on Mark's face; it's completely incredulous. Maddie and I were out watching the IU Xavier game on on Friday night, and O'Shea stopped in his tracks, and he goes, "Whoa, do I know you?" 
I'm like, no, not really. I'm thinking to myself, I mean, Rosie, she's trying to go pee here. I mean, we're trying to, you know, accomplish some 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 things here in the bathroom. O'Shea was not to be denied, though. He wanted to talk about the Colts, so we exchanged numbers, and uh, uh, he was happy because he had the Colts plus seven yesterday. Well, he got that right. He never did. exchanged numbers in a bathroom either. <laughs> Look at Mark. Mark's Mark appalled at that. Just, I, you go in there and you do your thing. I've never struck up a conversation with a stranger. He's a friendly and Definitely never exchanged numbers. We need to continue this. Give me your digits, sir. <laughs> Mark, who should we go with? Boy, I don't know. Who did you give your phone number out to? Let's go to Mark. <laughs> Mark, keeping it in the family here. What's up, Mark? Hey, how you guys doing this morning? Doing well. How are you? Uh, cold, but doing well. Yes. What's up? <laughs> Guys, I read an article a couple weeks ago, and I've been thinking about it here for, for a couple weeks, and it was on The Ringer, and it talked about kind of what's going on with the Colts right now, about why it looks so hard. You guys were just talking about it a second ago with Joe Burrow and you know, his escapability. So when the Colts switched to Ellinger, you know, the, the article said, you know, it kind of makes sense because their line is so terrible. Do you guys know this year that in the NFL, when a team gets sacked on a drive, they are three times less likely to score? Because it's not just about it's not just about those back breaking scrambles and what they do to a defense. It's what happens instead. You know, instead of that scramble, it's a sack. And if it's a sack and if you're the Colts, that's why you've been ahead one time in the last what, a million games because all they do is get sacked. They have a statue and they have no quarterback because, you know, Jake gave gave our GM too much crap about having bad wide receivers. That's pretty much it. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Um, it wasn't me. That was Kevin. That was before I worked. No, here. that was you. I'm no. gonna. I'm, no, I'm gonna blame. Oh, you for really? That one. Wait a minute. Well, hold on. I'm the one that gave him crap about the wide receivers. Do we have audio evidence, Mark, that yes, it might have yes, actually been the yes, other half of this yes, program? It was yes. the one that Matt wanted to meet in the elevator, not yes, me. Yes. Hold okay. On, let me... Maybe Chris Ballard ran into Kevin in a bathroom. It definitely made me think. And I mean, Bowen. Every time I freaking read or listen to Bowen, it's like a constant freaking barrage of 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 uh, wideouts. <laughs> Y'all have been kicking the out of me for years for not drafting wideouts. Again, I will say, I really appreciate Chris Bowd reading. You know, listening is one thing. Right, but, you no, know, that's clicking your, on website, right. you know, our articles, that's, that, uh, that's big. Um, to Mark's point, Jake, it seems like the Colts just don't even, if they have nothing there in the passing game, I very rarely see a ball thrown out of bounds. Correct. It's a seven or eight yard loss, and to Mark's point, you're behind the chains, and now all of a sudden you're stressing your offensive line even more because now you're creating an obvious passing situation. You know, on on further downs, um, you hear the phrase like "stay in phase" a lot. You know, can you stay ahead of the chains? Can you create third and shorts? It just this offense is unable to do that. You know that last sack, and again, I know people were asking about. Was God, there a face Ryman mask just penalty? Got blown. Oh, you're you're talking about the second to last sack. Yeah, was it second to last? When well, Ryan, Ryan gave up sacks on each of the last two drives. When when Ryan just slid down, you know that's Matt Ryan's a veteran. I mean, he knows what he's doing, right? I, but yeah, it really is a shame that there's not even anywhere where he can realistically throw the ball away because somebody has gotten some separation at all to even have the semblance of it being a non-pass. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional grounding? Intentional grounding, thank you. You know, to, to throw the ball away. I, I mean, although there are a couple of times where Matt Ryan, on open plays, looks like he's doing an intentional grounding. Now, did he throw it away on the 4th and 21 to end the game? That was a nice little check down. Good. I was glad Deion Jackson ran out of bounds to save time there. Yeah, I mean, what was... <laughs> Smart. 
And why? And Taylor was not on the field, right? Yeah, we got some questions about that. Yeah, Deion Jackson, I guess, has turned into the new third down Naheem Hines. Saul Hines had some big, uh, big returns yesterday for Buffalo. Still not doing really anything for them offensively, but he's turned into a uh, big returner. Did we? Did we get a number? I didn't see any crowd shots. I was curious what the situation was with the crowd for Buffalo Cleveland in Detroit. Like we're, we're because what the NFL should have done, which would have been cool, was if you live in Detroit, you go out and pick one of the two teams and cheer for them, root for them, whatever. Get in for five bucks. I mean, how did they do that? What was the when Mark, the game was you know, moved from Buffalo to Cleveland? How did they determine the tickets? I assume tickets would be free. Yeah, I mean, they were not free, but I think like the Bills had like on their on their website you can fans could go buy tickets. I think it was the same for the Browns. I think that's how that worked. I was seeing like Adam Schefter. Tweeting. Was it a good crowd? That's what I thought I saw. I thought tickets were ranging from like anywhere from five to a hundred dollars. So they did say it was going to be considerably cheaper than a regular well, the, NFL the game. Lions, and Buffalo's going back home because they play there on I Thursday. Thought, I thought I read that Buffalo was going to stay in Detroit. Sean McDermott said, "We want to get home. We want these guys to sleep in their own beds, hang okay. out with their family, all that." Because for Lions fans, it would have been exciting to to go and know that realistically a home team was going to win right i mean if you're the lions have won three in a row jake come on now is motman gonna call in dan campbell that motman is afraid to call in i'm supposed to do by the way december 9th i'm going to the indy fuel game in partnership with community health and the indy fuel uh they're doing a heart awareness night where they're hoping to give out some heart scans for people so they asked me to come out uh, to tell people to get their heart scanned. And they said, well, maybe Motman will come too and be on the big screen. And he's like, uh, did you say big screen? I go, yeah. And he goes, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing it, and I, I support the cause, but I'm not going to be on camera. Whose <laughs> who's home attendance does that t- count towards? Well, that's what I mean. So I, I, I think It was Buffalo, a Buffalo right? home game, obviously. So, yeah, so the so it doesn't go to Detroit. Detroit doesn't get the actual like extra 50,000 people or whoever was there, right? The no, revenue, you mean? Well, no, I'm saying like accounting towards attendance figures towards yeah. the end of the year. Because that would be an additional home be game for them. Out, right? Yeah, you would think so. So Thanksgiving will be Bills at Lions, Giants at Cowboys. And so then, the Bills just have to go from the locker room that they were in right. to the, across the hall, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And then the nightcap will be the Vikings hosting the Patriots. Uh, one thing to note on the O-line yesterday, Jake, again, left tackle, right guard. They've been the issues all season long. Uh Two penalties for Bernard Ryman and two sacks given up. Three penalties for Will Fries. So five penalties and two sacks given up. Okay. By those two. Rick DeMullin in a half Blame hour. Us. Time for a morning checkdown. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. This from Fred. He said on the broadcast uh, they sold over 50,000 tickets for that one. Really? In Detroit. Uh, Elsewhere, week 11, what stood out to you guys? How about the Patriots winning on pretty much a walk-off punt return for a touchdown? Yeah, the Jets offensively. Ooh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, oof, right? And how about the Cowboys to the Vikings yesterday? Cowboys 40-3 to over Minnesota. Dak Prescott, 276 yards and two through the air. Um, the Saints over the Rams. I realize that's a, a game of two teams going nowhere, but the Rams, man. I mean, after winning the Super Bowl. I think I see Stafford got hurt again. Mm-hmm. He did. Yep. Did the Rams get like a little bit too high? On, were they a little too cocky coming off of? 
Well, I think the loss of Odell Beckham and the loss of Von Miller. Yeah. Uh, last night, Did Kansas you see City that, 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 that actually there, the Rams draft pick is higher than Detroit's now, and they gave Detroit, obviously, for the Jared Goff trade. Oh, my gosh. No, the Rams have the fifth or the sixth overall pick, and the Lions currently have the 13th. Really? Can you imagine like being a Rams fan? And Colts with that? the 14th pick if the yeah. draft were to start today. Let me turn the volume on. That would help. Uh, Mark, cue up that Tyrese Halliburton close game audio. The Pacers tonight against the Magic. Jake, they've won four in a row. I believe it's six of seven and eight of ten. And in this four-game win streak, they've come back from double digits in each of the four victories, winning close games. Tyrese Halliburton on that. I would just say experience. Um, You know, just we're going through this as a group for like – you know, the first time, but it's happening over and over where we're in close games down the stretch. Uh, and you just kind of got to figure it out on on the go. And, um, you know, we're growing together as a group, getting better every day, uh, becoming closer on and off the floor. Uh, that's allowing us to have trust in each other to, uh, to, to pull these games out. There's something I want to commend Halliburton and the Pacers for. Jake, did you see the ankle injury he suffered on Friday night? Yes. And a lot of people are like, man, how bad is this going to be? That was ugly looking. Yeah. I, I was being selfish, thinking to myself, well, there goes the 529. Um, <laughs> you just need 500, right? No, you don't even need that, right? No, I need, I need 30, 30 and 52. Um, he decides to play the next night, and the Pacers let him play. Jake, in today's NBA, your star player, if they suffer an injury and then they're playing on a back-to-back, they're sitting out 99% of those games. So I think it was a reminder of there's no design tanking over there by the Pacers. They easily could have sat right. Halliburton and no one would have batted an eye at it. And yet they decide to play him and he wants to be on the floor. These are the things that I just think he is wired. What did Rick Carlisle say the in right a league way. where it's become trendy to sit out? He wanted to play. The Colts yesterday were the Pacers narrative. They were fun and competitive and then ended up losing to help themselves in draft position. You're like, wait a minute, that's the other franchise. But the Pacers you know, exceeding at this point expectations. Last night, college basketball, speaking of the Pacers, in the Pacers arena, Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Indiana over Miami of Ohio, 86-56. Trace Jackson Davis with a double-double. He had 17 and 16. Jalen Hood-Shafino had 12 for Indiana. That was a game, to me, the narrative of that game, aside from the fact that, you know, Indiana is obviously very good, and Trace Jackson Davis is a centerpiece of what they want to do with his athleticism on the block. But um, I think the thing to me that jumps out the most about that is that was like a completely off the radar game. I mean, I think there are a lot of people that are like, wait a minute, I used playing in Indianapolis? I know. I was shocked. I was like, God, I forgot all. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, You're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. About this. You would think, wouldn't you want that? I I guess you get some foot traffic, but wouldn't you want that on a weekend where the Colts aren't playing at home? 
I mean, I would think on a, on a, a little bit more like around it, a little bit more height or something. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like you typically when Indiana plays in Indianapolis, I mean it's you know like a centerpiece event, and I yeah. think there are a lot of people that are like, oh, I completely forgot they were now, playing. Now, now the crowd looked good when I was watching it. Yeah, no, it was. on on TV. Um, so yeah, they beat Xavier on Friday down uh, at the Centos Center in Cincinnati. Come back and beat Miami Ohio uh, yesterday. Um, so right now you kind of get into that college basketball. Uh, tournament week. I think Butler goes out to Portland, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it's Purdue goes out there as well. Um, and then for Indiana, they won't have that, but they still have North Carolina at home, uh, Arizona and Las Vegas, and then uh, at Kansas coming up in December. All right, uh, we'll continue to take your calls again. 317-239-1070. Rick DeMoling joins us in a half hour. Kevin and Quarry on a Monday. Jake, two guys defensively that I wanted to single out for their performance yesterday. I thought Stephon Gilmore in that matchup with A.J. Brown, he shadowed him a whole lot. Uh, I thought did a really, really nice job. And then uh, how about Yannick Ngakwe? Like, we're going to get to the end of the year, and Ngakwe is going to have 10 sacks, 9 sacks, something like that. It's going to be right, right around his usual season. I feel like the sacks, though, Honestly, a lot of them have been like he gets a half sack for kind of jumping on the pile after another guy's already started the sack. You know, it's kind of like, Kevin, I've mentioned this before, and I'm not saying this is necessarily 100% applicable to Yannick Ngakwe, but when I was in St. Louis and covered the Cardinals, the the St. Louis media who had covered the Cardinals for a long time would always get on Ray Langford because at the end of the year, Ray Langford would have 22 home runs. You know, whoa, it's a good season. And then you'd look at it, and of the 22 home runs, you know, 19 of them came in a seven-run game after the eighth inning. Right. By the way, um, Mark Dykton queuing up Hurts so good for Jalen Hurts. Uh, John Mellencamp yesterday catching some heat apparently did not stand during the anthem, and somebody caught a picture of it. Do you see that? And he was in the owner suite, or the one of the Ursa suites. Was that where that was? I. I- look like I, it. I noticed that and i guess it, it's a kid so you don't but people were jumping all over mellencamp and i'm like well there was like a kid asleep behind him during the anthem I'm now like, philly could have had some good headlines with that uh, you know mellencamp and hurt so good and for sure is that how the final drive was for the colts yeah not much good about it right but i get, guess from a if you don't think you're going to the playoffs and you're trying to improve your draft position then it, it hurts and so good right but yeah, and again, uh, on the Ngakwe front, Jake, two things I thought. The, the sacks have not been as impactful as you would like them to be. He had one yesterday, the first play of that second hey, he half. Had, I mean, he had a strip, stack, a strip sack, right? Huge. And if yeah. the Colts finish off that drive with seven, that was the Paris Campbell drop on that third down. Uh, that could have been the difference in the game. I thought he made a couple of really nice plays in the run game, which is not his forte. And right now, he's needed even more because Tyquan Lewis is lost for the year. Quiddy Pay is still in the walking boot with that nagging ankle injury. You need Ngakwe. So I, I thought he was a guy that played really well for you yesterday. But we should rename him that. Instead of Yannick Ngakwe, his new name should just simply on this program be Yannick Ngakwe. Right? Now that works. That's not bad. I think that's what we go with. What are you two staring at each other for? 
but I, I don't I don't agree with that. I think I'm onto something. I think people are driving That's the in problem. their car. You always I think I, I think agree, you're onto Mark. something. Thank you for that. Right. No, I think people are driving. You always in their car. think you're onto something. People are driving in their car right now and they're saying to themselves, "Now that query, that guy's catchy. I like that the way his brain thinks." And and there and today, later today, some guy is going to say at the water cooler, "You know, I got to thinking about this. The Colts need good defensive play. They should call Ngakwe. You need Ngakwe." And then people there will not be one human being in the city of Indianapolis or surrounding counties or listening area that will say that there will be signs at Lucas Oil Stadium you need Ngakwe somebody's going to make a sign and they're going to say to themselves that guy on the radio I forget his name but that guy's catchy that's what they're going to say I think most of them are saying this in my opinion that sucked no they're not at all <laughs> thank they're you saying coach. they're saying I need Ngakwe you need Ngakwe there you go Mark can you cue up do we go on Thanksgiving break after today's show, Kevin? I'm just I wondering. Know, literally. <laughs> Mark, can you cue up the um, Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi call that Jalen Hurts touchdown again? I, sure. I, Jake, to your Ray Langford point, I think there's an element in sports where in the game's waning moments, everything gets heightened. You know, the final few minutes of an NBA game the defensive intensity arises. Correct. To your baseball point, the at-bats in the eighth and the ninth inning feels a little different. The music starts to get a little bit louder. You know, people kind of on the edge of their seats. You know, I'm a big golfer. The back nine on Sunday of a PGA Tour event, it feels different. Finishing NFL games, because there's such parity around the league, you see these one-score games everywhere. You saw it last totally. night, totally. Chiefs-Chargers. Yep. And as great as the Colts' defense played yesterday... That final drive, if I were Gus Bradley, wouldn't that keep you up at night? Absolutely. Thinking Jalen Hurts is able to scramble and create. The defense was gassed, man. I, mean, I know, I know. But I, just, I look at that fourth and two and the third and seven, Jake, and think, how in the world does Jalen Hurts just waltz into the end zone like that? Kevin, I- you want me for you? Yeah, and, and, and here's the call. Again, this is Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, third and goal from the seven. Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end zone. No. He threw it. They're going to do that. He ran it right up the gut and scampers into the end zone untouched. I mean, untouched is putting it lightly. And Venturi says, you know they were going to do that because he's been doing it all game. The yeah. fourth and two? Yeah. You Three know, plays are, like, where's the spy there? I, I thought the Colts had 10 guys on the field when the play started. I'm not saying it's applicable there. And I have shared this insight a thousand times in my career, but I think it might be the most illuminating epiphany that I've that has been shared to me by an athlete in my career. Except for the fact that I cannot remember who said it, which is terrible. I think it was Joe Theismann. But I was interviewing an athlete at some point, and I said to them, I've always marveled at how Joe Montana would win games in the fourth quarter with this just unbelievable heroics. Michael Jordan was the most clutch player in the fourth quarter with you know Reggie Miller. And I said, and I've always wondered why, if a guy does that, why they don't play like that the entire game. Like, how do they elevate their game like that? And I think it was Theismann said to me, that's where you're wrong. And I said, what do you mean? And they said, it's not that they elevate their game. It's that when, as you had just mentioned, Kevin, when the music feels louder and the crowd is more intense and you can cut the tension with a knife in a building late in games, everyone else tenses up and they never do. 
Tiger Woods never tensed up coming down the fairway on 17 and 18. Everybody else was a little tighter, and he was equally loose, and so therefore it wasn't that he rose above everybody else. It's that everybody else dropped off from him. And yesterday at the end of that game, Sure, the defense was gassed, no question. But Jalen Hurts, who nobody at any point at this time is going to mistake for you know, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning just yet, but a very good right. young player. But Jalen Hurts, when it mattered most on that third and eight, everybody else kind of seemed to fall off, and he was very poised and just waited for the play to open and took it. And, and oh, they made plays when they had to. And I apologize for kind of harping on this, but it almost seems like this year with the defense, who has done all the heavy lifting – Gilmore's been the one guy in those moments, Jake, that hasn't wilted. Right. But the pass rush, the Washington game, you know, you think about the plays that Heineke kept alive to finish that game. Again, your offense is the major culprit yesterday. And the first and goal from the five, um, you had two drives there. I think it was both late third quarter where you got the ball like at your own 40 or own 45, and you got zero points out of that. You know what you need late in the games like that? You want to know really what you need? You don't, need don't say it. <laughs> don't don't say it. You need Ngakwe is what you need, right? Oh Mark, am I reading in that? my opinion that sucked. Am I reading that correct? Is England up three nothing? Yeah, they scored two goals in like thirty seconds. They're On... playing flock of seagulls, right? What? They're playing flock of seagulls? No. Iran, right? Oh my god. What are you doing right now? <laughs> what? Yeah, they're rolling. So that's in the United States group. So the US yep, plays Wales group. later yeah. today. England up 3 nothing, which is not too much of a surprise. No, England, the no. heavy favorite in this group. The route is on. Basically, I, I, I think, and I say this in all seriousness, because I am fascinated by the World Cup, Jake. I, I, you and I have had this conversation before. Um, it's wild to me that the United States is so bad in men's soccer compared to the rest of the world. If you look at the U.S.'s group, their match today against Wales, it seems like the winner of that will be the second team to go through with the group. Because England is dominating. Okay, can of worms here, but let me begin with one thing you just said. I don't disagree with you about the United States in soccer and the fact, you know, you look at Ecuador. First off, as I was watching yesterday, and I did watch Ecuador, I'm like, how many Ecuadorian fans are in the crowd? And, I mean, nothing against Ecuador, but I'm like, I looked up their their average income, and I'm like, are there that many people? I mean, it would be hard for Americans to go over to to Cotter and, and watch the World Cup. I mean, that's an expensive trip. There were thousands of fans there from Ecuador. But in the United States, I think, and, and people take this as some sort of a slap or a knock. It's not intended to at all. Part of the reason why the United States has never elevated itself in soccer to the level of other countries is because I think at this in this country, a lot of people have their children playing youth soccer because it's a great form of exercise, but also because if your child's not overly into sports or whatever else, it's a great sport to play because you get the advantage of learning teamwork and physical exercise, but you're never the, the attention is never isolated specifically on you. You don't have to go to the free throw line. You don't have to get in the batter's box. But then the kids that are the best at it, there are so many sports options in the United States that are not available elsewhere that oftentimes the best athletes here – once they get to the age where their body physically develops of an athletic superiority, they then venture into baseball, football, basketball, swimming, track and field, whatever it might be, whereas other countries are more limited in the scope of sports that are played. 
the other thing about the World Cup for me, and, and people think this is like some anti-American sentiment. It's not at all. Of course, I want to see the Americans win, but I do find somewhat of like a pleasure or a delight in seeing countries that where soccer means so much more right. to them. No, I, I couldn't agree more, Jake. That it gives those people, like like Iran, and I realize politically speaking, we're supposed to, you know, Iran is the enemy. I totally get it. But that's their government. That's their that's their bureaucracy. That's not their, their citizens. And so Iran, if they were to win a soccer match, I would be delighted for the people and the athletes on that team because it gives them a hope or a diversion from the horrible atrocities that their government is forcing them to live under. And I can celebrate that from a human standpoint and look beyond the governmental aspect of it because that that doesn't mean the citizens feel that way all the time. And I like to see third world nations and second world nations have something for which to celebrate that would mean a heck of a lot to them more than just a three-day celebration before March Madness is underway. You know what I mean? I said this to Maddie last night. Like The United States is playing a World Cup match tomorrow and we're not even going to spend barely any time on Correct. it. Whereas if, you know, and this might sound stupid, if an Ecuador, Ecuador s- local sports radio, Jake, it's probably a holiday for them today. Correct. That everyone, I mean, it, or yesterday, it would be a huge deal if the U.S. won the World Cup here for like, it would be a big deal for a long time. But, but for I mean, Wales today, it is massive correct. that they're even in it. That's correct. Yeah. Which is, again, kind of the, the unique nature to the World Cup. Two o'clock today on the pitch, the United States and Wales. Rick DeMoling joins us in 10 minutes. So, Mark, did you at least get my Flock of Seagulls reference? Got it. I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> you know, they actually have... Um, everybody thinks Flock of Seagulls is a one-hit wonder. Not true at all. They've got... Um, of course, now I'm... I forget the name of the song. The other song. They That's like, when you know they're not a one-hit yeah, wonder exactly. when you literally yeah. can't name any no, other Space song. Age Love Song. Let me go back to Google here. Space Age Love Song is a great song. And it was a top 15 hit. I'm just telling you. Who's the NFC favorite right now? Boy, that's a great question. I I asked you that earlier. Dallas? I mean, I think you've got to look totality over the course of the season. It's very easy to look at it and say, hey, based on what Dallas did yesterday, it's Dallas. But, I I mean, does Philly – did that look to you like a team that could go all the way through? I I said yesterday, I'm like, you know what? I don't know that Philly can make it to the Super Bowl because they're – and I'll give them credit for shoring it up yesterday, but their run defense is still questionable enough. Yeah, that I, but that, that D-line after the first drive looked pretty menacing to me. Did. And if um, they get Dallas Goddard back, I think that was a big loss for him at tight end. What about, you know who's just lurking? And they're going to have a home game to start the postseason, you're not you are going to say Minnesota, right? Oh, Tampa? Yeah. I mean, yeah, they'll host like a Dallas in I, round one, right. something like that. I don't know. I, I you just I've written them off for twenty five years and paid for it pretty much every single year. Uh Rick DeMolin, former Colts offensive lineman, seven year NFL vet. I think friend of Jeff Sack. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. All right, she's going to join us next here, Kevin Corey. Jalen Hurts, by the way, took a knee and then eventually stood back up. Uh, Rick Venturi was still on the floor for like five minutes after that, I think. Boy, right? that is <laughs> yeah, obviously is not the call Colts fans wanted to hear, but it is such a great call and painting the picture of what happened on that play. Totally. because Shotgun snap for Hurts. He's going to oh, take no. off. He's at the five, and he dances oh, into the end zone. No. He threw it. they're going to do that. He ran right up the gut. I mean, this, the field just absolutely opened right. up. I mean, you have the same view I do, Jake. I mean, it, yeah. was that not the thought that you had? I, totally. my, my first thought, and I know I've said this several times today, I thought they had 10 guys in the field. I thought the Colts were missing a linebacker. Uh, joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, a return guest to the program who can tell us a little bit about what went on yesterday. And I, I guess for Rick DeMulling, who played with the Colts from 01 to 04, then back again in 07 during his NFL career. Rick, the first thing I would ask you is, as a player, you know, from a fan standpoint or a media standpoint, yesterday in watching that game, it, it felt at different periods like the Colts were up 17, 21 points. It just, they felt in control. But you also felt like Philadelphia, especially towards the end, you could kind of feel things swing a little bit. As a player, do you feel that on the field in a game where you can kind of feel the pendulum of momentum going back and forth? Or is that simply fan observation? No, absolutely. It is. You feel it. Now you have so much going on in your brain that you're just getting ready for the next play. So you don't dwell on it. But like when you're on the sideline, if you're watching the defense, you kind of get that feeling as the defense is watching the offense. But yeah, you're so just zeroed in and focused on what your next job is that you don't think about it too much until you're probably on the sideline. Kind of on that front. And by the way, thank you for the time this morning. Again, Rick DeMolin is with us, drafted by the Colts in 01. Um, what about like the game's kind of waning moments? I think we, we put so much stock into like what happens in the fourth quarter, what happens in the final few minutes of a game. As a player, did you feel like heightened intensity in the fourth quarter in trying to close out a game? Because now for two home games in a row, we've seen a team in the Colts build a two-score lead in the fourth quarter, but unable to close it out and finish. Yeah, absolutely. You feel that. I mean, especially with as an offensive lineman, you're you got the lead in the fourth quarter. We're going to run the ball out. That's your mindset. And when you do not accomplish that, it starts getting more intense. However, like 
I loved Howard Mudd, rest his soul. He was phenomenal. Like, hey, listen, slow the game down. Don't do more than what you are, have been doing all game. And that's kind of like our human nature. We're like, it's coming down the thing. You start getting amped up, start getting amped up, but just slow it down. Do what you know what to do and don't do too much. Rick, we, you know, we talked actually with Jeff Saturday about this before, obviously, he became the interim coach. But I wanted your perspective on it as well because, you know, you're also an offensive lineman. And this line for the Colts this year, to me, has just flat out been enigmatic because for the most part, it's the same personnel that we've seen at times play really well than at other times look like, you know, a turnstile. Is, from your perspective, is playing offensive line psychological? Is it just from one play to the next, can it be a confidence thing? What is the issue with the line of the Indianapolis Colts in 2022? Yeah, absolutely. I think there definitely plays a confidence thing. If you like are unsure, one, of like your technique, and then two, what play you're running, especially those rookies, right? They're having, it's just hard to play in the NFL to begin with, to begin with and then be in there as young guys. Like it, it is very difficult to catch up to the speed of the game, and so if you're not like dialed in and just like your your technique is second nature, and then you're just you already know the play, it becomes a whirlwind, right? Yeah, I would agree. It looks like there's turnstile sometimes. It's just like some of it's technique, some of it is just feeling unsure of what's going on. But it, it definitely looks like the offensive line is not 100% sure what they're doing. Now that's not across the board. Obviously, there there's some shining spots there, but it is hard to watch sometimes when you have such a phenomenal offensive line not play as well. And I'm not, you know, you can't single out just the rookies that are not playing well. I mean, it's across the board, but it, it's hard to watch. And if you're not confident in what you're doing, you can't go 100, 100 miles an hour and just react. Yeah, I would say, like you said, Rick, across the board, all five of those individuals, obviously not the same guys necessarily, but have taken a step back from even what you had last year. Again, Rick DeMoline is with us, former teammate of Jeff Saturday. Let's go back, I guess, two weeks ago today, Rick, and apologies if you're coming on the show thinking that this means you'll get an NFL head coaching job tomorrow. (laughs) Um, But your initial reaction to hearing that news, and I guess did you learn like the rest of us learned yeah so we had a little text chain going with some former players and uh heard that frank was uh they parted ways and that was you know sad to see because we all have so much respect for frank and what he brought to the table and um that was sad to see and it was you know discussing hey who are they gonna who are they gonna elevate right then all of a sudden we get the (laughs) we all find out jeff just got the job and it was it was pure excitement really is what it was and then bewilderment so everybody's like hey get him on the line let's find out this is real and obviously he was pretty uh, busy at the time so we didn't really find out until everybody else found out like for sure but it, i mean it's awesome there's you know somebody asked me what is what speaks volumes to, about jeff to me i'm like the one way that i could put it is like I, if my son grew up to be like jeff saturday then i know i did a good job he's that great of a man like he is just the type of guy that you want leading other men and I'm excited, fired up for it. Rick, when you were a player, if you were able to, to go back in time here, if I said to you when you were sitting at one point, let's say at a training camp, and I said, one of the guys, I'm looking into a crystal ball here, and in just under 20 years, one of these guys that you're playing with is going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. How far down the line would you have been in your guesses before you got to Jeff Saturday? Maybe he's like 1A right 
Um, obviously, you think Peyton is going to be one of the guys just because he's so competitive and just loves the game. But like, as far as a like knowledge of the game, fire in the belly to make people better. Like Jeff is up there, right? He he doesn't lack in that. He doesn't lack in confidence. It doesn't mean that he is. He he knows what he's doing, and he's when I say confidence, confidence in himself, and that's through his faith in Christ. And so, like he he's up there in the top one or two that I would have thought that could and would lead a team. I'm going to ask you, Rick DeMoling, a really dumb question that I've asked Lyman before, but I'm also used to asking dumb questions. Um, but I think that f- I think people listening will be interested in this because I think it's one of those things that we all act like we know the answer to, but no one, unless you're in it, really probably totally does. And that is this. Tell me the fundamental difference between playing guard and tackle. Because I think those of us that have not played football at a high level think, if you're an offensive lineman, you're an offensive lineman. You ought to be able to just move around. <laughs> but clearly... The Colts have learned that you can't necessarily juxtapose those two positions. What is the primary difference between the skill set necessary to be a guard and why that doesn't translate automatically to being a tackle? Easy. Space. So when you are as a guard or play the interior, you're fighting inside of a phone booth, right? It's close quarters, quick. And when you move out to that tackle, you're giving the defensive end, who is a phenomenal athlete, a lot more space, right? A lot more room to work. And so it is a completely different skill set and a completely different mindset, really. I mean, you're, you got to think about, especially when you're on pass pro, you're on an island. And I was always said, hey, you're by yourself. You might have some help sliding to you sometimes, but typically you, you're one-on-one the vast majority of the time. So is it safe to say that a tackle, if need be, can move over and probably play line, or play guard, excuse me, but a guard cannot necessarily slide over and play tackle? Um, it takes it takes a very skilled guard to be able to go out and play tackle. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's very difficult. It's probably a lot easier for a, a tackle to go into guard than a guard to go to tackle for sure. Again, Rick DeMolin is with us, former teammate of Jeff Saturday. I want to go back to Jeff here, Rick, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. Do you look at this as you know? an interim eight-game thing, or do you look at this as Jeff Saturday really believes and thinks that this could be what he does full-time moving forward? I believe he, just like you said in his press conference, right, this is something that he is he's going to give 100%, and he's not doing this just to like, hey, you know, they give me an opportunity to be here for eight games. He, I think this is a trial run. Like, hey, this is one, something I want to do. And two, am I good at it? Like he, he's innately good at leading men and making people better. Now, if it's something that he wants to do, does he want to? I mean, that's a big disruption, right? He had sure. a pretty good gig in <laughs> at ESPN, and this is completely different. So, for him to even uproot his entire life and lifestyle and family for eight weeks says a lot to me. He's like, hey, listen, I want to give this a real shot. And in the next six weeks that are left, like I think he is going to, you know, at the end of the season, do some soul searching and find out like if this is really what he wants to do. And if he does, I think he'll have a, a legitimate shot to stay here um, after the, you know, the full interview process and everything. And um, but I, I, I believe in him 100 percent, even if they don't win the rest, like any more games the rest of the season. Like you can tell the difference, right? They just went toe to toe with arguably the best team in the league and very well could have and should have won. Do you so, I mean, go ahead. No, no, no. So, sorry to interrupt. That's right. No, I was going to say like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, what do you think the score would have been? Uh, do you think the Colts would have fought 
that hard and been that close in that game. I mean, I don't know. I'm not saying that they wouldn't have, but I mean, it looked like a different team out there. There were some self-inflicted wounds for sure, but I see progress and I, and I like it. Yeah. They've led in seven of the eight quarters under Jeff Saturday. Um, do you see him more as a guy that is curious about being a head coach or a guy that would be curious about working in the front office? Good question. You know, that I'm not even, I'm not 100% sure on. I haven't had a, a full on discussion with him about it. And uh, I would assume that he's probably keeping that close to the chest. But I think he is right now giving everything he has into being the best coach that he can be for the, you know, those Colts. And after the season, he'll probably figure that out. Rick DeMulling, when you are at the Bullseye Event Group Center before the game, enjoying the tailgate, and you think to yourself, you know what, if this game goes as such that I've got to pull my hair out over stress, I'm not worried about it because I've got We Grow Hair Indy, uh, and kudos to me for getting both those worked in right there. But That was awesome, yeah, thank by you. the way. I was just um, going to say that. So when you are but, – but before a game – and and next week, I mean, for the Colts' next outing, right? When you look at it, the thing that concerns you going into games now is they get set for Pittsburgh. What is the thing about this particular group that is, in fact, keeping you up of thinking about and worrying about what they need to clean up? It's obviously the offensive line, unfortunately. Like, the defense is – I mean, there's always improvement across the board. There's never a perfect game. But that defense is solid. I mean, look at what they did to they, – they held one of the best offenses to what they did yesterday. And then it's the offensive line. Can we run the ball? Can they be consistent on a game-to-game, series-to-series basis? You know, what are you, you going to get? Um, and I don't know if they figured that out yet, who the best – I know there was a couple of illnesses and injuries, but uh, they haven't seemed to have found the combination that is rock-solid and you know what they're going to get. Like, if somebody's not perfect, that's great. But at least – I want to be consistent, right? At least you know what you're going to get from, you know, a, a snap to snap. It just seems like they're not really on the same page all the time. But does it almost feel, Rick, and I, look, I get it. I mean, linemen don't exactly grow on trees, right? You can't just go into Dollar General and buy a lineman. But it seems like an area the Colts have neglected, and it seems like an area that they just magically assumed was going to repair itself, and we've now seen enough body of work to say, no, the the way it was built is not working. Am I being too critical? Uh, I think a little bit, because obviously there's that, like you said, there's not a lot of plug-and-play players like a Quentin Nelson, right? Those, and, you know, and Ryan Kelly, those are not guys that just grow on trees. Um, but yeah, I do believe they potentially had, you know, like Smith, Kelly and Quinton. They're like, all right, we have 60% of the puzzle. I think the 40% can be just put in there. I think they had a lot of high hopes for prior and that obviously didn't really pan out the way that they had hoped. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they definitely, I wouldn't say neglected it because they obviously have three amazing pieces in the puzzle there, but I think they needed like definitely get some solid left tackle play and they just haven't yet and you know, obviously it's hard to ask the left tackle rookie uh, Raymond to sit there really step in and, and blow it up that's a that's a big transition that he has so I don't know I don't know what the answer is but I know it needs to be cleaned up and um, hopefully those guys gain a little bit more confidence because they are good they just need to like get rid of the pride of self-doubt and let it rip is Quentin Nelson still to me something has happened I'm not saying he's not a good player, Rick. That would be naive of me. But he was an elite-level breakthrough talent a year ago that seems to have slid back to showing signs of normalcy. What's the difference, if any? I would agree with that. I mean, he's still like the upper echelon. He's not like what he was playing at before. 
I mean, that I don't know. I don't know if it could be a nagging injury. That's the thing that's always kind of goofy with the guys that have a backslide like that. Because normally you do it in your second year, and he didn't. Obviously, he just got gotten better, better, and better. So, I mean, there could be something going on in personal life. There could be a, a nagging injury that just hasn't gone away, and maybe something in confidence is gone. But I mean, he still has all the skill set, and when he's, I guarantee, you, if he's confident and healthy, he's going to play as good as he has. Again, Rick DeMoling, drafted by the Colts in 2001, played seven years in the league. Rick, always enjoy having you on. Um, I'm sure it's kind of been crazy watching Jeff uh, be the head coach of the Colts over the last couple of weeks. So I appreciate your insight with us, and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. You have a blessed one as well. Thank you. That's Rick DeMoling right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. I thought he made an interesting point there, Jake, and the question you kind of asked about what's invested in the O-line. There's no question the Colts have made serious investment into their offensive line. I don't think they've allocated those investments in the right areas. And by that, I Fair. mean this. Yeah, that's that's a, a good way of saying it, yes. You can't patchwork left tackle. You have to patchwork somewhere on the O-line. It's impossible to commit you know, an ideal first-round pick to every position, of course. So, interior is where you have to patchwork. They chose to patchwork at left tackle, and you saw it again yesterday. They continue to get exposed there. And when you're exposed there and you have a quarterback like Matt Ryan, you're going to have the lack of offensive product- productivity that the Colts have had this season. By the way, if you look up Rick DeMulling's high school, as notable alumni on his high school's webpage, it lists Steve Entman. Now, Steve Entman only played 14 games for the Colts. I know he was the number one overall pick in the draft, but he only played 14 games. Rick DeMulling started 14 games for crying out loud for two straight seasons. Shouldn't Rick DeMulling be listed as a Cheney High School notable alumni on Wikipedia at least now, can't you Next edit to, but, but, Wikipedia yourself? I think my editing um Would that not go well? Well, I think my editing privileges got uh blocked or something because one time I, you know, got on there and said that somebody owned a stadium or something like that. I can't remember what it was. Oh, so you have attempted this before. <laughs> but well, uh Shannon is now uh permanently banned from Twitter, and I think I'm oh. permanently banned from Wikipedia. Gosh, bans and reinstatements from Twitter seem to be in the news lately. You can't, you can't expand. Does Shannon want to call in? And Well, Elon doesn't like her as much, apparently. Um, hey, Jake, Nelson and Kelly have regressed. Yes. Pushed back into the quarterback repeatedly. I, I would agree with that. And that's – Quentin Nelson, there, There's. I don't know if it's injury, what it is, but I watched him yesterday, and he looked average at best on numerous occasions, I thought. Jake, again, look at all five of those spots and the five you had in those spots last year. So it would be obviously the same left guard, Nelson, the same center, Kelly, the same right tackle, Braden Smith. Left tackle was mostly Eric Fisher. Right guard was a combination of Mark Lewinsky and Chris Reed. Each of those five spots, you have seen a step back. You know, if you had a letter grade, if if Braden Smith played an A- minus last year, I'd say more of a B this year. Nelson, if he was an A last year, I'd probably slot it back to a B. Ryan Kelly is down a letter grade. Right guard is probably where you've seen the most significant drop. I thought Glowinski and Reed gave you pretty good snaps last year, and you're on your third right guard. And again, Will Fries yesterday, three penalties, and... Well, I think it was part and giving up a a, a key sack as well. Um, God, you just got manhandled. And after that opening drive, how great was that opening drive? First touchdown opening drive since Christmas. 
I mean, they looked in control for 3.75 quarters of that game yesterday. Yeah, but didn't you feel like they needed one more score to really Absolutely. feel in I, control? I start with like five and a half to go. I looked at the clock and I thought, this is going to... You could just see it coming right down Meridian, right? You could tell right then what was going to happen. They needed a... They needed to, on two different occasions, they needed to convert six instead of getting a field goal. You know what I mean? You imagine if Frank Reich would have dialed up the fake end around on second and goal from the five, and it looked like it did yesterday with Parks Frazier dialing that up. They'd be blow torches. <laughs> You're right. On Monument Circle right now, yelling about Frank Reich. Uh, we still got to give out our fan tweets of the game. Mark, you said 14 minutes of stoppage time in this England match. Yeah, I've never seen that much in my life watching soccer. Usually it's like five, six at the most. So but the Iranian Iranian goalkeeper uh, got his nose broken early, and he was down for quite a bit. So there's 14 minutes of stoppage time. The second half is just starting now. And the Iranian bunch down 3 nothing to England. Um, that is the United States group. The U.S. and Wales will kick off at 2 o'clock. England and the U.S. Friday at 2, which yep. is a very marquee game. By the way, somebody sent me a thing that was like, hey, I know you don't care, but there are those of us that have waited a long time for this. Who said I don't care? I I actually enjoy the World Cup. I like just having – I like any of these events that you can come home and in the middle of the day you have it on in the background. You can watch it. It's fun. It's fun to follow along. I just wish it was on in the summer. I would agree with it's that. It's going to get lost in the news cycle. Right. Now, that's blaming blame it on the host city as to why it's well, sure. right I mean, now. Climate-wise, I, I yeah. totally understand that. I just saw Tony Katz with his chest painted USA. That's right. Out in the break Do you have room. a scarf on? Scarf on, cigar in the ear. I, I don't miss the Vuvuzelas. Is that what they were called? Yeah. Well, maybe if we turn up the volume, we can get that in the background. <laughs> so apparently, in Cotter, apparently, because I mentioned, I made reference earlier I was watching. So now Ecuador you're going Qatar. Are we saying it right? Are those I, I thought it was Qatar. I thought Matthew from Maine told us it was Qatar because he have, does business over there. Do we have on Wikipedia? You can. If well, you you're Google banned it, on there, so if you Google it, no, I'm banned from editing. Oh. If you Google it, it should have you know the little pronunciation, and then you can play it over, and everybody can hear it. Uh, but whichever you, whichever way you want to say it, the the host country, I mentioned. I was impressed by, but surprised by, the number of fans from Ecuador that I saw at the match. I was like, wow, like that can't be inexpensive to travel from Ecuador and then to stay, theoretically, for weeks, whatever it may be, in Qatar, Qatar, Qatar. And somebody said, no, they are actually the government there, which has a ton of, and it's natural gas money more than oil money, but they have a ton of natural gas money. And they are apparently, and by the way, Qatar, Qatar, it is essentially a peninsula nation, for those that are unfamiliar, whose southern land border is against Saudi Arabia. It's kind of like Maine in the fact that it only has one land border to the south. What's that? I'm trying to pull it up. I know okay. beaches and dunes. Oh, ha. Come on. No Boy, this is great. Just say it. What, what, the name of this say country? it. Qatar. 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 There we go. Qatar. Qatar. Okay. What did I say? Cutter? I said Cotter. Qu- like, welcome back, Cotter. Okay, so Qatar. So, at any rate, Qatar extends into, I believe it's the, is it the Mediterranean? Not the Mediterranean. I'm sorry, the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf. Um, 
but it's only 2.6 million people. So it's not a huge country, but they have a ton of money. And apparently they are paying some of their citizens to dress and cheer for the different teams because countries, a lot of them are boycotting going to it because of obviously you start getting into politics and religion and other such things. Gotcha. So there is your lesson. Chris goes, you may have already talked about this, but Chase McLaughlin's now gone three consecutive games with missing a field goal. Where's the outrage for him like there was for Blankenship? I, first off, Chase McLaughlin's making field goals that Rodrigo Blankenship would never have been able to and attempt. And he's missing field goals. He's missing field goals that they never would have attempted under Hot Rod, right? right. I mean, he's 5 of 7 from north of 50. Right. I, I can't fault him. He's 19 of 23 on the year. Is it perfect? No, but he's still. He's making, not missing extra points, right? He's not. Ma- yeah, exactly. He's not making field or um, he's giving you the chance to make field goals that again you wouldn't have attempted with Hot Rod. All right, uh, we'll do our fan tweets of the game coming up here in a few. Let's do a morning check. Down. The morning checkdown brought to you by Ball State basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on ninety three five and one zero seven five. The fan. Jake, the Pacers are favored by six and a half tonight against the Orlando Magic. They beat the Magic on Saturday. Aaron Neesmith with the late game heroics in that one, an offensive rebound. Uh, He got fouled on a miss by Tyrese Halliburton. And, uh, I mean, that's a pretty big Orlando front line to go in there and get the offensive rebound with. Hits two free throws. The Pacers get a stop on the other end. You know who's really good for the Magic, who I didn't think? Bull Bull? No, is the Wagner kid, Franz Wagner. Yeah. Like, really good. No Paulo Boncaro tonight. Uh, ankle injury for him, so it sounds like he will continue to miss some time. But the Pacers have won four in a row, six of seven, eight of ten. They go for ten wins on the season tonight, and that makes Kevin Bowen very happy. By the way, several people are telling me, no, it's Cutter, and then somebody else is saying it's gut- Gutter. Oh, my God. Didn't we have Rake on Friday? Like Didn't he gutter, say yeah. guitar? No, it's definitely not gutter. I can tell you that much. I'm telling you right now. Again, I'm talking about how like a native would pronounce it. Gutter with a G? <coughs> it says right here, the 2022 World Cup is being hosted in Qatar, which is which is pronounced G-U-H-T-E-R. Then I'm seeing Qatar, and I'm seeing Qatar. And then others are saying cutter. I, I, I think the here, okay. How do Arabs pronounce it? Arabs apparently pronounce it Qatar. So you got to go by, I mean, I'm going to go by what the natives say, and they say Qatar, so therefore, okay, I'll go with Qatar. Oh, there you go. I'm glad we cleared that up. Okay. Yeah, I'm just saying. Pick your poison. That's what I say. Pick whatever you want. Uh, guys, week the 11. The others go on the cutting room floor. Oh, jeez. Oh, Thanksgiving can't come <laughs> soon enough. Week 11 in the NFL, the Detroit Lions have won three in a row for the first time in five years. They beat the Giants on the road yesterday. The Cowboys smoked the Vikings. The Patriots with pretty much a walk-off punt return for a touchdown. And uh, for those that did not stay up for it last night, more Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey magic. Did you guys see the stat they flashed up there late in the game about Kansas City's record at road divisional games under Mahomes? No, but is it... He's never lost a road divisional 14 game. 14-0, I think, is what it was. Seriously? And they have now won 25 wow. straight in November and December. It's pretty impressive. Pretty impressive? It's pretty impressive, yeah. Incredible. Uh, Steelers lost yesterday. Colts will see them a week from Monday. Early line I mean, on that one? Uh, early line is lots of people watching Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> 
39 and a half is the over I mean, The early line is Joe Buck and Troy. Can we flex out of this one? If, if you live in, if you live in like, you know, wherever, give me insert name of city here. Allegheny. Allegheny, Pennsylvania. Well, there, they're probably all watching it. But you live most places, and you're like, oh, Monday Night Football, sweet. What do we got? Colts, Steelers. So yeah. you're saying in Qatar, okay, it won't be appointment television? Three. Yeah, they're actually going to be playing the guitar That's in, instead of watching late that. Thanksgiving indigestion. Hey, Col- <laughs> oh, look, this stuffing's still in the fridge. Oh, man, something's not sitting right. That's what Steelers Colts so is going to So no one wants to guess on the early line? Uh, Three-point favorite, I'm guessing, for the Colts. Home uh, I'll say Colts, six and a half. Two and a half. Really? Colts favored by two and a half right now. That's Steelers scored a lot respected. yesterday. They did, yeah. I mean, TJ Watt, if he gets about three strip sacks, then that'll probably be the game. Uh, all right, Colts yesterday, they lose 17-16. Uh, the missed opportunities offensively, the story of the game, really been the story of the season. Defense did the heavy lifting. The offense could not get it done. Here was Jeff Saturday yesterday on the mistakes and finishing off drives. Absolutely, yeah, again, you know, we, we have everything we want. Um you know, make a great catch down there. Like you said, time is on our side, you know, points on our side, and having to settle for a field goal is super disappointing. Um, and, and again, but it goes back to you can't put yourself in that situation, can't make negative plays, and um, just didn't do enough down there to, to convert and, and put them put them out. Uh, college basketball last night, by the way, Indiana 86-56 over Miami of Ohio in the Hoosier tip-off classic. That was at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, Trace Jackson Davis. 17 points and 16 boards. Jalen hood Shafino had 12. Indiana capped, or capping off the weekend where they began it by winning in Xavier on Friday night. The Hoosiers now 4-0, and ranked 12th in the lane. You, know, you talk about the late-game moments Indiana had at Xavier. That's a game I think they don't win in recent years. Like, yeah, I, I feel, agree with that. How many times have you got to like the under-four media timeout of the second half of an IU game lately and been like, oh, tie game, I can probably go to bed. They're not going to win this. No, they're a good team, no question. And They've got a guy who is extremely reliable when they throw it into him. Oh, first team All American. Yeah. Shout out to Scotty. He not our Scotty, loyal listener Scotty. He's flying to Evansville to visit family in Kentucky. He just sent me a pic, Jake, from you know one of those maps in the airplane. He's currently what twenty thirty thousand up and listening to us right now. Now where is he exactly? Can you see? Looks like D.C. Okay. Looks like he's going D.C. to Atlanta, Atlanta to Evansville. So So currently he's he's a little bit past Baltimore and route to Atlanta. So he is listening on a stream, obviously. I'm impressed that the Wi-Fi on the plane is that strong. I would agree. Is there a bigger joke than Wi-Fi on an airplane? So you can hear us 30,000 feet above Washington, D.C. I know where you're going with this. But maybe not 30 blocks north. (laughs) Fan tweets of the game next. Post-game. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. When St. Jude opened in 1962, childhood cancer was considered incurable. Since then, St. Jude has helped push the overall survival rate from 20% to more than 80%. St. Jude won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Join me today in supporting St. Jude by calling 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 to become a partner in hope. Your gift to St. Jude could last a lifetime. Headlines. You're listening to Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 
All right, it's time for our fan tweets of the game. Again, as always, Mark Dykton sends out in five words or less. Give us your reaction to what you just witnessed. Yesterday, a couple that stood out to me. Uh, David, entertaining losses help the future. (laughs) Marcus, Ballard's boys up front are frauds. Wow, okay. Scott, the Pacers are fun. <laughs> CVM for, uh, said, this one, Philly hurts. I like that one. That mm. was well done. Uh, we have Tyrese Halliburton was another one. Ballard's boys up front are frauds. Score touchdowns, not field goals. Uh, this offensive line still stinks. <laughs> How about this? Frank, Jeff, who cares, L? <laughs> Clint. Offensive offense for the loss. That's that's pretty well put. You can put that for a lot of games this year, Clint. Is it six games this year now the Colts have scored a touchdown or less? Six games. How about this from Romulus? One dead arm away from playoffs. <laughs> okay. Boy, you know what? I feel like, you know, you've obviously seen this a couple times, but I thought yesterday you saw it again. Did Matt Ryan just look old yesterday? Matt Ryan's looked old a lot. A lot. But I thought yesterday. Did you read this one? This one's strong. The Eagle landed. It hurts. That's really good. Who is that from? That's pretty solid. Uh, That is from Mark Hall. Good job, Mark. That is solid. Uh, Kyle, Ryan's arm is done. Yeah, boy. It was. Those balls he throws outside the number, you're kind of like wishful. Oh, I hope it gets there in time. A little flutter to it. Which isn't a good thing. <laughs> Ebert. Nice offensive line, Ballard. This from uh, Greedy1739, which is probably a bot. Who we thought they were. I mean, wasn't yesterday just kind of a microcosm of the season? Yeah. I mean, defense, borderline outstanding. Offense. Okay, I, I guess the slow starts have been more of a microcosm of the season. Um, you got off to a nice start yesterday, but Blake, Blake's four words, <laughs> Ryman and Freeze crap fest. <laughs> Is it freeze or fries? Fries. Yeah. Um, we don't need to go through that one. We don't need to debate that pronunciation like it's Qatar. That's right. I, I thought the best summary of the Colts was somebody that I can't remember if they texted it to me or tweeted it that simply said they have a defense that could take them to the Super Bowl and an offense that could take them to the top five pick in the draft. That is a perfect way of saying it. And they're right in the middle right now with both of them with like the 14th overall. So they're right in the middle. That's the problem. The problem is they're getting stuck in that quicksand that's just hard to get out of. And at this point, Kevin, mathematically speaking, they're still kind of within striking distance of a wild card. So you got to go for that. But at the same time, and I know you said you don't think they would ever go back to Ellinger, but once the season is mathematically beyond reach, why don't you? I, I don't know. I mean, but that would have to take Jim Irsay stepping in. Why does Jeff Saturday But he did before. To, right. But that was with a coach he didn't have enough respect for anymore. <clears throat> that's probably true. You know, that's going to take – I mean, Jeff Saturday is trying to do this because he wants to win and win now. Um well, which leads to another thing here. Or do you have, you know, one of the real issues with this franchise over the last 10 years, if you were to write a book about it, 
okay? And and then you can, in like 10 years, you can pick up the book and read it when you're not watching your documentary on the 2022 World Cup scandal. So you're reading this book about the Colts' 10-year period, and one of the key things in there is how the franchise was kind of damned and doomed when they had a general manager and a coach that were, according to the owner, attached at the hip, and Ryan Grigson and Chuck Pagano, but, and do not kid yourself, a general manager that did not respect or like the coach. Grigson and Pagano did not see eye to eye on a lot of things, and by the end, it was an ugly, attempted, forced marriage. It just did not work. So now, all of a sudden, when you talk about how um, Jeff Saturday would be wanting to win right now if you're Chris Ballard in another three weeks you may want to be looking towards the future do you again have you even though it's an interim do you have a coach and a general manager that are again not on the same page and are the Colts at jeopardy of making the same mistake twice um I I see the reason to bring that up but I think Ballard looks at it and thinks we still have a chance right now I think Ballard is eternal in-season optimist and I think that is what is so frustrating about yesterday's result to fans, I guess, on that playoff side of the ledger. Certainly there are fans, Jake, on the competitive loss. I'm really happy about it. It's going to improve draft standing. But there's you know, people that also look at it and think, if you got that one yesterday, now all of a sudden, you're what? A game back? A game and a half back of the wild card? And it doesn't seem as daunting down the stretch. Now you're playing a Steelers team at home. You've won two in a row with Jeff Saturday. You've had a lead in all eight quarters under Saturday. You got off to a fast start. The problem that this team is in in mid-November, now transitioning to late November, is you've put yourself in a position entering yesterday at 4-5-1 and one, that we sit here 24 hours after a really competitive strong performance in many areas against one of the best teams in the league. You can't celebrate it, though, because with your record, you're in no position to have moral victories. Right. You need wins. Like It's a results-oriented business, certainly, but based off your record and what the rest of the AFC looks like, you've got, what, nine? I think it's eight, actually. Eight AFC teams right now with at least six wins. And a lot of those teams have already had their bye. The Colts haven't had their bye yet. So you've got to go probably, what, 5-1 and one the rest of the way and get some help just to get into any sort of wild card race. Uh, hey, Jake, my four words, or five words, this is a bad football team poorly built. Do you agree with that? Is that too harsh, Kevin? No, I think that's really well said. Uh, next one, same crap, different day. <laughs> that That actually might describe this show, right? Certainly today, right? Yeah. <laughs> kind of cashed in, I think. You know like, what? For those that, that are just joining us, uh, where have you been? The, the, earlier, we came up with a new phenomenon. No, we, no, I, no, no, no. Yeah, we yeah, did yeah, not. Yeah, I don't yeah, want my yeah, name attached say, to this. Listen, radio, Watch those pronouns. Ra- radio hosts have been... Uh, we had a meeting about that, didn't we, Kevin? About the pronouns? Uh, radio hosts have been nicknaming things for years rock and roll music that's because some fella on a radio station in cleveland said you're gonna like this new bill haley in the comet song this is rock and roll and, and rock and roll was born right you hear all the time about players that get nicknames because some guy on the radio just was whimsically quick on his feet and comes up with something and it sticks and i'm telling you right now you mentioned it earlier with Ngakwe and the way he played in the strip sack yesterday, and the Colts got a, a jolt from that. And I said, his name now is simply 
you need Ngakwe because that's the Colts need Ngakwe. So you need Ngakwe. In my opinion, that sucked. You know, honestly, that joke is reminiscent of the Colts season. It, you know, it's failed the first time. Let's keep on trying it. <laughs> what? That's what the Colts do with their offensive what, personnel. You know, you we, we don't need any me, outside me, of the building. Let me pull that joke out and make a, a newer version of it for a couple of segments. And then, <laughs> and then and then we'll go back to it. You I don't even think stopped. it's a joke. I think it's I think it's brilliant. You need Ngakwe. Let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Is it now five one? Mark, am I seeing that in yep. England? Yeah, mm-hmm. England's up five one. Harry Kane, get a goal, please. Five goals, no Harry uh, Kane. One eight hundred nine with it. Uh, let me ask you this, Kevin. What area of defense do the Colts, defensively speaking, the Colts have been very good this year? But what's the area that they they always are looking to shore up and and, and make an impact with? Pass rush. Okay. And and who are the guys that are designed to be able to rush the passer for them? Like their names? Yes. Last names, please. Am I feeding into some? No, game no, no, no. Just, just, just last uh, names. Buckner, Stewart, Pays hurt. Uh, ben Banigou's been a failure. Lewis is hurt. No, the, but the guys that are designed for them to rush the passer. The guys that that's their job yes, is to get in Gawkway. Okay, and and would you agree? In he order, played great yesterday. Okay, do in order to rush the passer, do they need Quiddy Pay to play well? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean they okay. need him to get healthy okay. first. So okay, so but you need Quiddy, right? You need Pay, right? Mark, are we up against it? True or false? For the pass rush, you need Buckner to be able to play well and be healthy. Correct. So you need Buckner, right? And then in that capacity, Ngakwe is one of them, which means you need Ngakwe. If you've got problems with your nip, uh, your, your, <laughs> not your nips. That's now, now, why, I'm trying why to stop you. you. Up, why got, are you pulling up? That was back before I had this kind of incredible, off the top of my head wit that Colts fans are embracing. I'm telling you right now, this is going to sweep the city. People are going to say you need Ngakwe. You know how many times you've said that joke? Nine times. Nine times. Kevin and Corey, we'll do it one final time, thankfully, on this Monday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Is this referencing the tweet we just got, Mark? This is referencing whatever that last like five minutes of the last segment was. It's, what it was was wonderful. Kind of sh- shows you where the cult season is at. That I'm sitting there on Saturday, I guess evening, watching the night games until USC UCLA weren't great from a college football sense. But when uh, the Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker went down, yeah. I couldn't tell you how many tweets I got from Colts fans being like, oh man, you hate to see that. That's the guy that I really wanted in the draft. Like, You're at this point right now where the third or fourth best quarterback in college football is so fresh on so many Colts fans' minds that that injury all of a sudden becomes a huge storyline. 
And that's, I mean, it's too bad for that kid because he's had oh, such a huge yeah. year, right? I, I'm telling you, in college football, and admittedly, I, I'm a Clemson fan. I mean, so I, I'm trying not to be a homer here. I don't think that Clemson would make noise if they get into the college football playoff. Let me make that very clear. I think there's a very clear divide between Ohio State, out or uh, Georgia, TCU, I guess, but certainly those two. But I do think, Kevin, that things are starting to – Clemson's kind of like Jalen Hurts on third and eight, and things are starting to open up a little bit. And Notre Dame is their best friend right now because as Notre Dame has started to beat people pretty soundly, it has lessened the the gut punch of Clemson's loss to Notre Dame. In other words, it's starting to look a little bit less egregious. I mean, they got manhandled by Notre Dame. But it doesn't look as egregious now. And if Notre Dame is able to beat USC, then now all of a sudden Clemson has in front of them, I mean, the teams you have in front of them, you have Alabama and LSU, which if if they don't go and win the SEC championship, if Clemson wins out, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but Clemson has South Carolina, who just rolled Tennessee. So if you beat South Carolina, that's got a little cachet to it. Then they go to the ACC title game against North Carolina, who is in the top 15 of the playoff rankings. So you you win that, and you sit and wait with you're kind of finishing strong, so to speak, because of those two wins. But more so, if Notre Dame beats USC – then all of a sudden Clemson is a one-loss conference champion and basically their resume would be up against LSU or Alabama who both have two losses and neither are a conference champion. What about a one-loss Michigan? If they're very competitive with Ohio State on Saturday. I think a one-loss... And again, I'm just going... I'm saying this totally objectively. I think a one-loss Clemson, if they are the ACC champion, would and should get in over a one-loss Michigan because Michigan... Ooh, I don't know not, about that. But hold on. Because Michigan A would not have won their conference championship. The, the, the committee says conference championship has to mean something, right? So to me, a one-loss Clemson who is a conference champion, according to the committee, would get in over a one-loss Michigan partially also because what is Michigan's best win? I'm not saying Clemson has great wins. Don't sure. get me wrong. Yeah, but what is Michigan's best win? Penn State. Okay. And, and so I do think – I'm not saying they should. I'm saying based on the way the committee has it set up, right. I think Michigan would – uh, would Clemson would – in other words, it's kind of like if you know Clemson's going to – if Clemson beats South Carolina – well, Clemson as it is right now is going to the ACC title game. So – if, if Michigan were to lose to Ohio State, Michigan then has to sit on the side of the road with the blinkers on, and Clemson at least is still moving in traffic because they have another game to play. Right. They have to win that game, don't get me wrong. TCU's the other curveball, right? I mean, because if TCU wins out, TCU's obviously in. I know you're being devil's advocate and not, you know, I, you've made it clear that you're not coming from the Clemson fan side of it. I just feel like punishing Michigan for being in the arguably the best division yeah, in college football. I can't disagree with that. Versus the ACC, and again, this is a knock almost on Notre Dame that says, I mean, you have a Notre Dame team that's won 27 straight games against ACC foes. Like, I mean, how good is the ACC? But again, Kevin, I, I think that that's... If you put Michigan in that conference, are they waltzing their way to a conference championship? Probably, except for that. I, I do think... 
you're going to totally disagree with me here, and I get it. I do think that playing in a conference every single week is different than kind of interloping in and out and then accumulating that record over the course of like five years. Michigan, eight and a half point underdog at Ohio State Saturday. Notre Dame, six and a half point underdog against USC Saturday night. Uh, Michael Grady tomorrow. Pacers and Timberwolves in town later this week. Michael Grady going to join us. Continue to talk about the Colts. Everybody have a great Monday. Talk to you tomorrow.